This is the Art of Darkness podcast with Kevin Kautzman and Brad Kelly. We're a couple of very online writers interested in the dark side of what drives creative people to create against all odds. This show is about art and the people who make it, what it costs them, and what it takes to bring something unique and impactful into the world. Each episode, we excavate the life and work of an artist you might think you know. Don't worry, they're all safely dead. On every episode, we try and find out just what the hell was wrong with them and how they worked through their darkness to create something that lives on after them and continues to move culture. Find us online at artofdarkpod.com and on Twitter at Kevin Kautzman and at Brad Kelly. And we're back with another fun-packed, action-packed, depressing, difficult episode of Art of Darkness, a par- uh, the podcast about the dark side of creatives and artists. I'm Kevin Kautzman, and I hurt myself today. How are you, Brad? <laughs> uh, I'm, br- I'm, uh, I'm doing well, man. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, back in the saddle, we took a, little, took a little breather, man. It's summertime. You can't be, you know down in our podcast lab and you know we try to get here as much as we can but you know right i've been trying to shake off the ghost of virginia wolf for at least a month yeah it takes she some time leave me yeah. alone her her high english is like a drill in my ear every yeah. night telling yeah. me i need a room right. of my own and yeah. maybe it's time finally to walk into the lake <laughs> uh, yeah yeah and i see you've been going to the lake a lot is that, you know it might cross your mind occasionally <laughs> that, i'm trying is. to make that my brand on twitter it yeah. Addition, at Kevin Kautzman on Twitter yeah. uh, and and at Art of Dark Pod on that's Twitter. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. us. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to make that my brand on Twitter. Where whenever I'm at a lake, because I yeah. live in Minnesota, yeah. I post at the lake. Yeah, and yeah. At, at the other lake. Lake but, build. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, lake pill. Take the yeah. lake pill. Uh, yeah. But another reason we took a break is that, uh, and I've already hinted at who our subject is today. Yes. It is Trent Reznor. Uh, no, I'm not, kidding. Uh, no. Not dead, but right, because figure. we only one of the rules of Art of Darkness is that we only uh, see dead people, and that's right. Uh, that's right. Uh, and if God forbid, if someone passes away, we're going to give it a year and a day before we do anything that's right. on them. That's right. uh, so, no, of course, it's not Trent Reznor. Uh, who are we talking about today, Brad? We're talking about Johnny M. F. and Cash. Yeah. Johnny Cash. <laughs> God bless Johnny Cash. Yeah, the man in black, man. So, yeah, absolutely. I'm so excited about this episode because one of the fun things about doing this podcast is that we get to, I think, go deeper than the surface. Yes. And yeah. The Wikipedia, is, the mm-hmm. Wikipedia entry isn't. You're. We're gonna go well past the Wikipedia page on this show. So. I cannot yeah. wait to leap yeah. through the ring of fire. Yes. Uh, and maybe we will meet in Jackson. I, lo- I love yeah. Johnny Cash. And not, yeah. oh, not in a cliche way. I really, really dig well, the whole story. Well, mm-hmm. dude, and this is something we'll talk about. I, I've sort of had premonitions of this before, but as I was, I was doing my research, I kind of realized that Johnny Cash might be the most universally beloved American musician. I mean, maybe not even American. I mean... There, you'll run into people who don't like the Beatles, right? Kind of vehemently, they will. Right. Yeah, the yeah, overrated, overplayed. Yeah, blah, blah. I ran mm-hmm. into somebody not too long ago who hated Led Zeppelin. Ah! You know, which to, doesn't, to me doesn't make, neither of those two things make any sense sure. to me. I have never heard anybody say they didn't like Johnny Cash. The only time I've heard it is when somebody who is pretty 
hardcore in their musical taste right. to which they say he's overplayed. Okay. And yeah. fair enough, but that right. has nothing to do with Johnny Cash himself. Right, right. That's, That's not a, his yeah. fault. Right, right. So yeah. it's more an, an indictment of you if <laughs> the depth of your sort of outlaw country appreciation begins and ends with Johnny Cash. It's kind right. of a get out of jail free card for yeah. people who are a little lazy with their musical tastes. Yeah. You meet yeah. people who don't even know that Hurt is a cover. Right, uh, which, which, is bizarre, which is bizarre to me. Makes yeah. me totally crazy because <laughs> right, I'm a, a right. pretty big Nine Inch Nails fan. Yeah, have been yeah, for a long yeah. Time. Well, when that happened, that was a merger of two of my interests. <laughs> it was like Nine Inch Nails and Johnny Cash are going to, it's in the same thing? Like that blew my mind at the time. So, well, so that, and was, that was cool. We, we tend to start every one of these episodes with a question where the yeah. person who's handling the subject asks the other person, what do you know about? the subject yeah uh so but i feel like i'm kind of getting ahead of that right yeah this a little is, bit mm-hmm. yeah, yeah yeah so well kevin okay what do you know about johnny cash <laughs> <laughs> i mean I, I really probably don't know much more than the typical person mm-hmm. uh and i don't want to delve too much into like personal stuff but yeah. i will say no i will i think it's interesting i um one one fact that i i believe is true is that Johnny Cash is the is the reason that Sgt. Pepper wasn't the number one album in the United States for two years. I believe that's true, yes. Was yeah. it Folsom Prison? Not I believe it was the mm. live at live at Folsom Prison album. Yep. That's right. right. And so musicologists talk about this as kind of a uh, an inflection point in the the fact that there were kind of two Americas. There was mm-hmm. the Beatles America and there was the Johnny Cash America. Mm-hmm. And I love that in the nineties. Rick Rubin and, and Johnny Cash kind of merged the two in this yes. really intentional yeah. way. Yeah. I think that is one of the greatest stories in, in the American arts. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. I got love Johnny, it. Got Johnny Cash on MTV, right? And got, you know, right. high sc- alt, alt high school kids listening to, to Johnny Cash. <laughs> Incredible. And my, my great aunt and great uncle, my grandparents would have grown up listening to Johnny Cash and watching him at the, uh, the on the Grand Ole Opry or whatever it is. Right, right. So Amazing. what a wonderful alchemy yeah. that that yeah. was. And then, of course, you have the great biopic, which mm-hmm. biopics tend to be awful. They tend to be maudlin yeah. and sentimental. And for whatever reason, I, mean, I think it's probably Joaquin, right? Right. Uh, well, Joaquin it, is a powerhouse. Yeah. Transcends yeah. the genre yeah. of the biopic. Yeah. Shows you. It's a really good movie. A very it solid is. movie. I think the only biopic that I would consider to be superior uh, in yeah. sort of the modern era would be Capote. Yeah, Capote's good. Yeah. yeah. Well, when you when you when you lean on an actor of that great of quality, Philip Seymour Hoffman or a Joaquin Phoenix or something like that, you can pull it off. You know, if the writing is good, the directing is good, the script's good, all of that, then you need that that actor who is you know top of the heap. Mm-hmm. You know, this yeah, is why the David Bowie biopic. I'm not sure who that guy is, and maybe it's good, but I didn't see it. I watched the trailer. I was like, I don't even really want to watch this. Like, it doesn't. <laughs> it there looks... may be one one day that nails it. Sure, yeah, there yeah. could be. Yeah. So, well, I, yeah. I don't want to hold forth anymore about what I know about Johnny Cash. <laughs> I think it's it, it kind of begins and ends there. I think that yeah. I imagine I have this huge interest, but I'm genuinely excited to hear okay. what you are gonna. Okay. You know, tell me about Johnny Cash. So let's yeah. go. Yeah, let's, well, we're just going to, we're going to do this fairly linearly. Um, my biggest reference, and I watched, I watched pretty much any readily available documentary I could and interview, many, many interviews. I read, um, Johnny Cash had actually two autobiographies. I read the later one 
Um, and then my biggest resource is this book by Robert Hilburn, thick 700 page biography of Johnny Cash. It's kind of thought to be the sort of the, the go-to one though. There are, there are a number of biographies and they often, they often will focus on one sort of aspect of his life. This is more of an overall. And Robert Hilburn was a music writer and who, um, who knew Johnny Cash. He, I believe, if I'm not making a mistake and confusing with the other biographer, I believe Robert Hilburn was at Folsom prison as part of Johnny Cash's entourage. Um, when the when the famous concert happened, and we, we will get there. So that's my bit, sort of biggest resource, um, and I'll be reading um, bits from this from time to time. But <clears throat> we'll start at the beginning. So um, Johnny Cash, J.R. Cash is his, is his uh, government name, uh, was <laughs> was born on February 26, 1932. Um, he died September 12, 2003. Um, you know, we kind of hit some of these points. I mean, other than maybe Garth Brooks, he was probably the most successful country musician of all time, had hits in every decade from the 50s to the 2000s, which is, you know, I don't really know anybody else who's managed to pull that off. I know, you know, Paul McCartney is still a recording artist, but, you know, I, I don't know if he's hit making hits necessarily. Um, he was... Um, you know, throughout the 20th century, he was not only notable as, you know, one of the most notable performers, um, he was also a songwriter. And I know that maybe doesn't sound that odd to us, but in country music, there was a lot of, there was a lot of you just played standards and things that studio musicians wrote and things like that. So Johnny Cash did play a lot of other people's work and kind of made it his own, but was also one of the most notable songwriters, um, deeply respected by none less than uh, Nobel Prize winning Bob Dylan, right? So oh, we do. Yeah. So Bob Dylan, when Bob Dylan met Johnny Cash and Johnny Cash met Bob Dylan, they were both like starstruck. They were both like, <laughs> oh, my brother, man. Like, you're the only other guy that oh, gets man. what I'm doing. To be you a know, fly so. on the wall for that. Right? Oh, right? man. Yeah. It's amazing. Mm. So, um, so, you know, he's born in, he's born in Arkansas and we're going to get to what that was like in a minute, but I want to, I want to imagine being about as poor as you can be as a white person in America, 1932. Dirt and then in the end, yes. Yeah. yeah. And then in the end, you own property all over the country, including in Jamaica. Uh, you're a member of both the country and rock and roll hall of fames at the time of your death. Mm. Um, you know what I'm saying? This yeah. thing we're talking about, arguably the most universally beloved musician outside of like the Beatles, maybe and Elvis and like a handful of other, he's up in that echelon, no matter yeah. what, maybe there's not a, the superlative doesn't apply, but it's like Elvis, Beatles, Madonna, Led Zeppelin, Johnny Cash. He's in that stratosphere right um so let's start back in arkansas so he's born in this little town kingsland but really hometown is this town called dias um i've heard it pronounced a couple of ways dias dice whatever d-y-e-s-s -S. um in 1935 they moved there and it wasn't even a town yet it's pretty interesting actually it was more properly referred to as colonization project number one it, <laughs> what it was a it was an fdr work projects administration like experiment oh, basically man. right and so what they were going to do is they were they had um 520 acre farms and mm. you would apply and you would be essentially loaned like a low interest or no interest loan of this 20 acre farm right mm -hmm. um including like a little there was like a how they were prefabbing houses on them and that sort of thing sure and, and Johnny's dad, um, 
there was tons of people that applied. Um, Johnny's dad was one of the 500 families that, that got it. Um, There's really only one official constraint is that you had to be a white person. <laughs> yeah. No moonshine. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Oof, so, yeah. So, anyway, mm-hmm. they moved yeah. 1935. Johnny, Johnny is, um, three years old, they moved to this property. Um, <clears throat> May I ask, what is the Cash family uh, beyond um, white? Are they Scottish? Are, they're, they're Scottish. Primarily Scottish okay. Especially on the Cash side, it's not as clear mm-hmm. on his mother's side, but on the Cash side, they actually came, they can trace their lineage back to 1667 in the Americas. So this is like a deeply, hmm. this is like a deeply American family, right? Right. Um, from, you know, practically, practically the Mayflower. Um, so been here forever. Um, so they move there and, and, and Johnny's got some siblings. He's got, um, an old two, sorry, two older brothers, Roy and Jack. Jack's going to be important. They've got an old, he's got an older sister and then he's got a younger sister, Reba, who's just a baby. Um, dad's a world war one veteran and was sort of known as this hardworking kind of dude. He had done like hoboing around, like he would hop on a, he would hop a freight train and like go do, go work on something for a few weeks and hop a freight train back, that sort of thing. Yeah. You know, I learned something interesting recently, uh, on the way back from your wedding in, in Michigan, we, we were in green Bay. We were stuck in green Bay. We went to the train museum and I learned there what hobo comes from. Do you know what the word hope? I heard that it comes from Homeward Bound. Oh, really? Okay. So if you were a hobo, it was somebody who was on your way somewhere as opposed to, I think a tramp was something, which is just somebody who was like almost like living on the rails. I don't want to get it wrong, but I learned that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that that makes sense. And the hobos were generally people who were looking for work, you know? Yep. And I know a little bit about hobos. When I was like in middle school, my, when people asked you, what do you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a hobo. Well, now you're a podcaster. (laughs) You're a hobo of the airwaves. (laughs) That's right. I'll show up on any podcast. You just give me a time. (laughs) At Brad Kelly on Twitter. (laughs) Hit him up. Yep. So, um, okay. So, so they get, they moved to Dias, right? It's the, it's the depression. We're talking 1930, um, sorry, 1935. Um, So moving, this sounded like the promised land. The government's going to loan us a 20 acre farm. All we got to do is work hard, you know, and that's just fine with us. Um, but it's pretty clear to everybody who moved there that this was kind of a wonky deal. Okay. So there was a reason this land was just given away. Are you telling me that the government screwed some people over, Brad? (laughs) Well, whoa, (laughs) (laughs) not the American government. No. Yeah. I'm going to black pill you. Oh no. Yeah. 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 So it turned out that this was sort of a land swindle deal that this dude had had a bunch of useless land and found a way to sell it to the government for this project right same as it it ever was was. yeah it was highly undesirable Mm. um and it was thickly wooded and it was weedy the people the very few people who were from the area referred to it as quote unquote sunken lands because there'd been an earthquake in the early 1800s that had shifted everything and there were all these like sinkholes and it was like with dirt that they called gumbo like you couldn't make it it was very 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 difficult to scratch a living out of this i hate to do this so early but i think a good episode title would be johnny cash and the sunken lands yeah it's not bad Uh, (laughs) it's not bad might stick yeah 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 i like that so um 
so they're all the whole this is the kind of situation where the whole family's working right mm-hmm. the kids the, you know as soon as you can walk you're dragging a you're dragging a sack and uh, you're growing cotton um uh and so hard work you know but somewhat of a musical family oh so one thing just to further give you a picture of what's going on they've got a mule right they 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 work behind a mule that's like dragging their cotton and they're picking cotton by hand and putting it in the bags right this is the first job johnny's doing this when he's like six or seven years old and you're gonna get calluses and bloody fingers and not it's not not easy and it's arkansas it's hot you know, it's, this is not, this is not pleasant. So they would do something that we think of more perhaps um, in America. We think of this being more of a, a slavery kind of thing where they would sing in the fields while they're working, hmm. sing gospel music, sing what they called hillbilly music and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And this is sort of the introduction that Johnny gets to music. They would have a transistor radio, but early on they didn't have any running water for instance, like this is, you know, this is as poor, about as poor as it gets. You're living on land that the government sort of gave you, basically, because you didn't have anywhere else to go. Um, so um, now let's think about like Johnny's singing. This becomes a big deal, but like many men who become famous, become sort of successful musicians or become known as having a good voice, he didn't have a good voice when he was a boy, right? For, for men, it usually happens after puberty. Their voice matures and becomes the thing it's going to be. Um, Johnny's got, you know, he's got these brothers, and we won't talk about too much about them except for Jack. Jack is his older brother. Um, he's his best friend. Jack tells Johnny that, God put you on earth to be a singer, right? So they have this sort of deep relationship. Jack is a special kid. He, even when he's like 13 years old, um, people in the community would come to him for like spiritual advice. Like men who were having a hard time, get like were drinking too much, would maybe come to him and talk to him about like what to do about it. Are these, are they Baptists? What yeah, are they're they? Baptists. They're Baptists. Yeah, yep, they're Baptists. Right. And so it was pretty clear that Jack was going to be a preacher, you know, obviously. And I, he may have even done like some guest spots at church, that kind of thing. <laughs> open you know? mic. Right, open mic, open mic preaching. So, you know, he was, so he, so we, we've got this boy who's clearly a special kid, right? Like whatever you say about the religion, if, if you've got the charisma and the wisdom that adults are coming to you for guidance, um, and everybody thinks you're something special, but you've got something going on, right? So we've got, we've got them, and, and he's the golden boy in the family, and Johnny is sort of, Ray, the father, the patriarch, doesn't like Johnny. This is clear from day one. That's never fun. <laughs> no, it doesn't help. Um, so, but, you know, they're working, Johnny's singing, Johnny's always wanting to sing, he's listening to as much radio as he can, he's listening to, like, the Carter family and all these sort of, these sort of classic kind of things things that are on the radio um and then one day his voice drops and he's out singing in the yard and his mother comes out and says you know johnny is that they weren't even calling him johnny then he was just jr was was that you and he says yes (laughs) ma'am and she you know he says this in multiple interviews and she says he he says she put his hand on him her hand on him and said the hand of the lord is on you you have a gift and that sort of like sent him in this direction, right? 
So Ray, the dad, thinks music is a bunch of BS. He thinks it's a waste of time. You should be focusing on picking more cotton than you did last year. You know, Ray doesn't, doesn't ever care about this. And this will be a theme. This is like maybe the first, beyond the poverty, is like the first thing that we would call the darkness on this show. Dad never approves of this. It doesn't even matter ever how much success you have. You never, you never approve. And I don't know if it's because he can't go back on what he said originally. Like, I don't know what it is, but his dad can never give him a nod and say, this is okay. Like, you did it. Maybe, maybe there's an attitude of it's not manly somehow. It's not wonder, masculine. It's yeah. kind of a, a womanly thing. I, I'm just, I'm just yeah. speculating. Yeah, I would think, yeah, I don't know. And it was sort of never, and you know, he's not a guy who's going to talk about it either. You know, he's not going to explain to you. He's a hard man. Say. Just a hard bitten dude, you know, World War I veteran, sharecropping, you know, hopping freight trains. What is this silly nonsense that you're doing? Mm. Um, so despite all of this, um, this is one of the great legends. We'll tell you one of the great legends of Johnny's life, which apparently is true. Um, Johnny's mom, who, you know, everybody was doing like spare work and that kind of thing. Johnny's mom had like pulled together some extra money from like doing people's sewing or something. Sure. And she I mean, got, that's how it used to be. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's how yeah. everybody. And, and she got Johnny some singing lessons with this woman in town. And so... Johnny goes to her and he, he, he wants to be a singer, right? So he's, he's trying, but she's got him singing like Irish ballads and like, and stuff like that. And it's just not working. They do a lesson and it's not working. They do a second lesson. It's not working. They do a third lesson. And finally she says, all right, why don't you sing something that you would want to sing? Let's see how that goes. And he sings like a Hank Williams song. He immediately sings Nine Inch Nails. Right. I hurt myself today. <laughs> I'm, like, oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm, 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 I'm getting that things was, mixed up. Right. That was dark, Johnny. Jeez. How old is he right now, roughly? Is he a oh, teenager? He's like, um, I think he's like 12 or 13, okay. if I remember right. Yeah, so yeah. anyway, he, belt, he sings this Hank Williams song that he knows by heart. And she closes the piano and she says, hold on. She sing, he's singing Hank Williams' Lovesick, Lovesick Blues. She closes the piano. He tells him, she tells him, lesson over, don't let anyone ever change how you sing, ever. And that was it. That was the only formal singing lessons that he ever had. I just got got chills. Right? Right? And you've got your mother telling you, you have a gift. You've got this woman telling you that, like, this, you're something else entirely. And you're living in this, you know, you're in this environment and you're hearing the, the only outside access you have is the radio, right? So you're like, you've got to start dreaming at that point, right? Um, so, you know, they're in this town. There's a couple other things that happen to Dias and then we will get out of there. One, one or two of them aren't that big of a deal. One of them is a big deal. One is Eleanor Roosevelt comes to town. I just thought this was charming sort of historical thing. And when Johnny's a boy, he actually meets Eleanor Roosevelt. She like shakes his hand and pats him on the head or whatever as she's like in town because they're observing the, you know, colonization project number one. How is it? How is it going here? <laughs> Not so great. Sounds like such an un-American thing. I think. <laughs> Doesn't we it really? Now. Just, yeah. just to call uh. it colonization project number one. <laughs> like, Sounds like something right out of like Ender's Game or something. <laughs> right. right. Oh, you will, yeah, and you get like assigned yeah. to a team, and that's your yeah. <laughs> um, another thing is there are you know because they're it's a vaguely sort of socialist project. They have like a music center and then like you know the government pays various bands to come in and one of them that comes through 
supposedly, I didn't read this in the, bio, in, the, in the Hilburn biography, but I saw this in one of the documentaries. Supposedly, the Carter family came through. And while they're going to talk about the Carter family, they're going to be actually a big deal in the Johnny Cash story. But apparently, when Johnny was a boy, he saw the Carter family, which He's is like, literally uh, laying eyes on his future wife he, he, as right. a boy. Mm. Right. Mm. Which is interesting. So, mm. And the Carter family is roots Americana country music royalty. Right. Sure. It's, it's yeah, it's as big as it gets, especially at this time period. Now, there's another thing um, that happens. <clears throat> this this is this is kind of rough. So he's got this his older brother, um, Jack. And Jack is this lovely, lovely kid. And Jack brings is willing to bring Johnny places with him where, you know, most kids don't want to bring their younger siblings. And, and one thing that Jack did for a little bit of extra money is he would um, he would take uh you know, timber to the wood shop at his school and he would cut it down into fence posts for people and sell, you know, sell fence posts or whatever. And, you know, one day he's going to do this and Johnny's going to go fishing and, and Johnny's like, you know, come, come fishing with me. And Jack, Jack has this weird kind of premonition he feel that he doesn't want to go cut timber, but he kind of knows he has to. And so ultimately he goes and he does it. And, uh, he has an accident with the saw. Um, okay, and so I'm going to read a little thing because I'm not going to be able to tell it as well as this thing tells it. This is Moral of the story here is if you're a young person and they want to send you to shop class, right. say no. Right. I'm going to be a podcaster. Yeah, I'm going to be a podcaster. I don't, <laughs> I don't want it. And, and the coach will love you. Yes, right. So, <laughs> so the saw... So the saw cuts him open, cuts his stomach open. There's a moment of Jack staggering around trying to shove his intestines back inside of him, right? And he would live for a week like this, just slowly dying. Um, And so I'm going to read this bit. Um, Jack started to groan and asked Mama to hold his hand, Cash said, remembering the farewell scene late in life. He said his brother closed his eyes and told Carrie he was at a river. One way goes to the bad place, the other way goes to the light. I'm going to the light. Then he said, can you hear the angels singing? Look at this city, this beautiful city, the gold and all the jewels, the angels. Listen, Mama, can you hear them? And that was apparently about the last thing that Jack ever said. And so... Pretty, it's pretty rough, and so heavy. yeah, and the family's obviously grieves for this for a long time, and and in some you know not particularly healthy ways. Um, um, I'm going to tell you, and and this is where Ray, the, the father, and Johnny's relationship got even worse after this. I'm going to read one other little bit. Um, <clears throat> Grandpa, who's Ray Cash, Johnny's father. Grandpa always kind of blamed Dad, Johnny, for Jack's death says Cash's daughter, Kathy. And dad had this real sad guilt thing about him his whole life. You could just see it in his eyes. You can look at almost any picture and see the dark sadness thing going on. Dad, Johnny, even told me that one time when his daddy had been drinking, he said something like, too bad it wasn't you instead of Jack. I said, oh my God, dad, what a horrible thing to say. And Johnny said, yeah, I think about that every time I see him. Right. So, I mean, and this is, this is right at a formative time. Oh yeah. Be yeah. Not yeah, grieving Jack- the death of your brother in this horrible accident. Right. Right. Johnny's yeah. 12. And I think Jack was 15. Uh, if I remember right. Right. So, and this strikes me as a family that's not with the father 
not emotionally equipped to navigate no. this. No, because you've, you've, you, and this isn't necessary. Mean, I, I don't want this to sound like a bad thing. You've, you've sort of exteriorized all of your emotional stuff to the church. Sure. And, and you know, maybe that's fine 95% of the time. But when something like this happens, the church is only one part of what's going to help you get through it, right? You got to like come together as a unit somehow. You can't. And, and so. Right. Yeah, There's no universal it. way to grieve. Right. The family should have its own. And if, right. Yeah, right, right. Right. And the church, like I said, the church can help. And mm-hmm. but I think, I think their thing was like, well, you just go to church and that's. That's it. Just trust know. in the Lord. And, right. At a certain point, like, it just, everything devolves into cliche and, right. and right. Uh, right. Yeah, pandering yeah, and, or and, whatever. And, and some of that's, some of the church stuff sounds great until you're 12 years old and like you're confronted with like a pain as deep as anybody's ever going to experience. You know, it's like, I need a little bit more than that. Mm-hmm. And having your dad tell you he wished it was you instead isn't, <laughs> that's not. <laughs> and your dad goes to the bottle. Sounds right. like. Yeah, uh, yeah. 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 So, mm. so anyway, I want to, I want to leave you with one image here because it's an image I'm going to tap into a couple other times that I think kind of strings together the life, the internal life of Johnny Cash. So, but then we're going to kind of leave Dias. Um, Johnny would often, especially after Jack's death, he would often walk the country roads at night by himself and sing. And so you imagine him out there just walking and singing these old country standards. He loved gospel music. So walking the, walking the country roads and singing gospel music. And you have to imagine him thinking about Jack. You have to imagine that sometimes when he walked, he walked that same route that he took to go fishing while his brother went to go have his accident. You know, so this is a scene. This is a scene for him, a motif for him, this walking down a country road by himself at night, singing his heart out. He's walking the line walking the line that's right that's right that's right so um high school comes and goes you know he gets a little bored he so one other thing is johnny's a pretty introverted shy kid sort of on the intellectual side as far as you can be being like a sharecropper in arkansas right so um but he gets a little bit of confidence he starts singing in church and that kind of thing at high school ends first thing he does is he goes up to uh actually comes up here to michigan to build pontiac's hates it, um, almost immediately decides he can't do it and he's going to join the Air Force. So, so he, he went from Arkansas to Detroit? Yeah, yeah, huh. yeah, which is, which was at that time was a kind of common, like in the blues world, that was like a common, you migrated from the South kind of thing and came up to Detroit for to work. cars. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot, well, especially as the Depression ended, it was some of the most like reliable, well-paying work you could find. Um, he did, But so anyway, he joins the Air Force <clears throat> and then... Um, then the war in Korea starts like almost immediately after he joins, <laughs> right? So he, it wasn't happening when he joined, but by the, by, but, but it started up when he was like, I I'll get, still in training. I'll, I'll get college paid for and right. I'll, I'll get some benefits. And, uh, right. Right. and it's like, wait, clearly right. war has got to be over after. Right. I mean, we had World War II. I missed that. Clearly. Yeah. Yeah. My great uncle, my great uncle was in Korea. Oh, is that right? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. So that it's, would be that would be where I first heard Johnny Cash was in oh, their house. Okay, yeah. yeah, and that's that's sort of the great uh, that's like the war that we forgot that we fought, Korea. You yep. know, we don't really. Yeah, the yeah. only time I saw my great uncle uh, shed a tear 
was when I picked his brain about Korea. Really? And yeah, yeah. he drove, he, he was an army, uh, he drove truck in the army. Okay. And yeah. it really broke him down because he I'm, had to talk about how uh, some of his buddies got blown up behind him. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And this yeah. is a guy, this is a guy who, you know, worked a union job in North Dakota and right. just never talked about it. Yeah. Well, you imagine you're a young kid and they, you just go to some country. Literally never, off the farm. You have yeah, no you, business being in Korea. And there you, you are. You, I yeah. mean, honestly, you might not even know where you are on the map. Yeah, he had a sixth grade education. Right. So he didn't know what Korea is. What are we doing? He might have heard the word one time, you right. know. Like, you're just going. Right. And so, yeah. so Johnny joins the Air Force. Um, one thing, you know, just kind of getting his psychology in here too a little bit. Um, people always knew, you know, we know of him as a as this great singer and talented writer, right? But And, you know, maybe the next rung down and the descriptive, description of him is, you know, he's a big, he's got a big heart. He's the man in black because he cares about the downtrodden, which seems to have been like a legit thing about him. He actually did care about people. Um, but, you know, he's also got demons. Um, yeah, I think about substance abuse when I think yeah, about Johnny yeah, Cash. Yeah, right, yeah, right. Definitely about substance, substance abuse. Um, when you get for a little bit further down that list of descriptors, this is something everybody says about him. He's like, he was deceptively intelligent. Mm. Like, he read a lot. He was obsessed with history. He was a very religious person, but, like, he knew the Bible, and he knew the scholarship, and he knew the theology. Um, so he's a very, very smart and very perceptive guy, right? So he ends up doing really well in the military. Like he does it very well in basic training. He does really well in his courses and they decide that he should be a radio operator, right? So I'm gonna read you a little excerpt. So he never, he never is in combat. Um, <clears throat> okay, so this is about the trajectory of the radio operator thing. <clears throat> if eventually accepted as an intercept operator. So this isn't just talking to people on the radio. This is like literally listening to encoded messages from quote unquote, the enemy and trying to figure out what, what the actual message is, right? If eventually accepted as an intercept operator, John would have to listen to the competing signals through headphones for up to eight hours at a stretch, trying to distinguish the real transmissions from the decoys. Once the Morse code was isolated, he would then jot down the letters and pass them along to a group of translators who would try to decode them. The more John learned about the intercept mission, the more motivated he was by the touch of glamour and adventure and adventure associated with it. He even imagined himself living out some of the World War II spy movies he had enjoyed back in Dias. He liked the thought of being a hero. Wait until he told dad about this. I had no idea. Yeah. That is yeah, really so fascinating. And that's, that is not for a dummy. That no, is some no. really hardcore it's concentration yeah. and focus, and you have to have an ear, right? Like, mm -hmm. and it kind of makes ah. sense that somebody who's a musician would be able to do this. You have to distinguish the subtle differences between very similar tones to say, well, that's right. part of the code, and that's that's noise, well, and, right? And Morse code, Morse code in Korean is particularly difficult. Oh, sure, it's, yeah, it's a joke. <laughs> 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 but yes, I mean, and, and trying to have to parse what's real and what's not, and right? When they're on particularly and, yeah. trying to send the sort of obfuscated sound at you mm. so like you can imagine he's just hours and hours and hours at a time trying to f focus on this so um now before he left he would be stationed in germany he would never actually go to korea so he's intercepting huh. messages from there apparently um before he he leaves he's in san antonio texas for a while as part of his training and he meets a girl there um, uh oh yeah so he meets this girl vivian um 
they don't spend a lot of time together, but he is totally in love with her and she is apparently in love with him. And it becomes primarily a romance by correspondence. And they write letters to each other almost every day. Johnny probably pretty close to every day for three years before they see each other again. Um, you know, talking about marriage, um, you know, the fact that he loved her and, you know, what they were going to do when they got back together and, you know, all of this. Um, and in the meantime, he's, you know, he's hunkered down with a bunch of other young men. There's a little bit of partying going on in Germany. They're not actually in Korea. So you'd work and you'd get R&R occasionally and that sort of thing. Um, um, so he, you know, he dabbled in that. He partied, drank a little bit. He probably, it's not confirmed, but he probably slept around a little bit. I mean, he's 20, he's 19, 20 years old. Um, um, he also would sing with some of the other guys in the barracks. You know, if somebody had a guitar, he would sing. Um, what year are we in here? Are we kind of in the mid fifties, late fifties? Yeah, so this are? would be, oh, sorry. So this would be 1932. This is like 1940. Um, this would be like 1950. Okay. Uh, right. 1950. 1950. So the, the Beatles aren't quite in Germany. No, uh, no. But Johnny Cash is there and he's in the army. And, yep. uh, yep. and he's, he's uh, a lady killer. He's out yeah, there bit. hanging out yeah. with the Fräulein. Yeah, but he's, but he's writing a woman in San Antonio every day. Yeah, he loves her and he intends to marry her when he gets back. And he's sort of right. struggling with his, um, she's the one thing about her. Um, she's a Catholic. and um, <gasps> The one true faith. <laughs> yeah, right. That's like our tertiary tagline for this show. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was an hour early for mass today. And so Man, that I felt, I felt really bad. Well, <laughs> we didn't stick around. <laughs> Oh, I see. <laughs> like a good Catholic, you know. I was, was going to say, my yeah. parents used to go to church an hour early to get good seats. So uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, no, so so well, there's a charming story about this. So he, she's Catholic. He doesn't know what Catholic is really, and so he meets another Catholic in the Air Force, and apparently oh, he's in the like, Air Force. I, I he's in the Air Force. Yeah. Okay. He, he he would apparently pester this other Catholic guy about like <laughs> what is. Like, what is it? What you... <laughs> that <laughs> is the, it's the most Protestant American thing in the world. <laughs> and yeah, there's like a, you know. I'm from, I'm from ex experimental colony number one. Right. <laughs> a, is that what it was? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're colonization project number Coloniz one. Colonization yeah. project yeah. number one. And I'm a Baptist. Right. What is this Catholicism? Because I really love this girl. Right. <laughs> Oh, man. What a hoot. Um, so we're not going to spend too much time in the Air Force stuff, but there's two notes that I want to hit because they're going they're relevant. So one is he sees a documentary while he's there called Inside the Walls of Folsom Prison, which ah. with what comes up later, it becomes relevant. So he's he, and he finds this documentary riveting. He sort of associates the prison life with kind of the regimented military life. Like he sees a parallel there. Um, and then he, he's keeping up with music as much as, as possible, buying records and listening to the radio and all of that. Um, he hears a song called Crescent City Blues, which this cracked me up. If you read the lyrics to Crescent City Blues, it's basically Folsom Prison Blues, almost exactly. Well, and of course, the Crescent City is New Orleans. Right, right, yeah. right. Interesting. Right. Ah, so he, he poached a little bit from Oh, that. Oh, yes. Okay. The lyrics were so close that eventually in the 70s, Cash would have to pay the guy who wrote Crescent City Blues like uh, some, some th tens of thousands of dollars in settlement. 
Um, it's like a, now yeah. here's the one thing. Cash did write the line. I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. Okay. That was his, that was okay. not in Crescent city blues, but Good a enough. lot of the rest of it, like the, I hear the train of coming. That's all in there. Straight like, out of Crescent city. Yeah. Blues. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. what, what's the saying? Uh, you know, uh, great artists steal something yeah, like well, that. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's the other thing too. The blues. It's not like cash stole this like late in his career. He was like, he'd never even probably thought it would be popular. You know, mm-hmm. this is like a song, you know, so I don't, I don't ding him too hard for it, but, it was surprising to me to read the lyrics of it and be like, holy smokes, this is almost exactly the same song. <laughs> Gotta look it up. <laughs> um, okay, so he gets back from Germany. Um, he, and he pretty much event- immediately gets married to Vivian. Um, and so let's talk about Vivian just a second. Vivian, you know, she's roughly the same age. Um, she's, she's a gorgeous woman. Um, she's kind of exotic looking to be honest um, and I looked up her uh, enough that and there's another story we're going to bring up a little bit later because it's actually relevant she's sort of like I think Sicilian or something but she has like a, um, a, a sort of Spanish sounding last name I don't know if I have it written down here but she's a striking she's a striking looking woman hmm. um, and she's very um, you know she was not only raised a Catholic but she was a devout Catholic right so this was important this was important to her and it was important to her family um, that and that can cause an awful lot of tension yeah yeah well Catholics this is why they had to get, Protestants to this yes, day yes, it, among certain families yes, that's a thing it's not great and there was some friction there with the family and you know mm. the fact that they got married almost immediately I think mm. I think kind of knocked some of that down yeah it's really tough because one side is totally wrong <laughs> and the and the other side is the one true faith. Of course, I am joking. Uh, but yeah, I think we have to put ourselves in that time as well, because right. of course, right. living in sin would have been almost unthinkable. And Johnny is not going to convert to Catholicism, I assume. So there's, no. there's this strange kind of yeah extra yeah. difficult layer yeah, there. Absolutely, yeah. and mm-hmm. it is also hints at there's some things going on here that hint at something that about some truths about Johnny Cash too. So like he's this podunk kid from Arkansas, right? He marries a Catholic woman, didn't even know what Catholic was, right? Asking questions like, well, they do what? Um, he, <laughs> what, had, what? he had, yeah, he had, he had a number of, of black friends in the military, um, including Johnny did not write the song Blue Suede Shoes, but the song was Blue Ship of Blue Suede Shoes was Johnny's idea because there was a dude in his barracks, this black fella, who liked to dress really flashy when they went out on the town and he wore blue suede shoes. Johnny Cash gives the song idea to Carl Perkins um, and Carl Perkins eventually writes that song for Elvis. Huh. So it's kind of a weird little factoid. Yeah, and then Johnny, and I'm also sort of just showing how progressive Johnny is. So, you know, marries a Catholic, has black friends, and hires regularly hires Jewish guys to help him, right? Mm. So he's, he's he's for a dude in the forties, fifties, sixties out of Arkansas, seems real chill on, on yeah, like on race, the, religion, the creed kind of thing. Yeah, yeah I wonder how, gonna, how did his dad take all of that? Was his dad yeah, you a know, little I more old a, school? I never okay. got a hint of that, but I imagine mm. he was a little bit more old school. Yeah, um, but maybe, maybe not. Maybe getting into the military and getting to see Germany a little bit. Maybe that kind of it sounds like I it think, might have been good for him. He got off the I, farm. He, he got uh, a yeah. taste of Detroit. He got a taste of Germany. Right. Yeah, yeah. You start to meet people, and uh, you know, it seems like at some point he decided. Like, you know, you just treat the person how that person is. That's, you know, that's the best route. So anyway, um, 
comes back from the Air Force, marries Vivian. They move to Memphis. Now, Memphis, if you don't know geography, Memphis is far west Tennessee. It's practically Arkansas. Like, it's only, I think, like 45 minutes or maybe even a half an hour drive from Dias. So it's basically moving back home, but you're, you went to the city. Um, and the big part of the reason that he moved there is Johnny's older brother, Roy, lived up there and was working as a mechanic. Johnny figured he could probably get there and, you know, find some kind of work. Um, but there's an interesting thing that happens here. So, Kevin, do you know about Sun Records? I know about Sun Records okay. uh, a little bit. I've, I've yeah. seen the documentary. Uh, okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so Sun Records is what Nat was in Memphis, what we, and it was what we would now probably call like an indie record label, right? It was a pretty small-time operation. Um, Elvis came out of there. Um, Jerry Lee Lewis came out of there. A few people who were a little bit less well-known now, but who were pretty well-known for their time. Um, and the country music industry was centered around Nashville, which is significantly to the east. And this is in Memphis, so it's kind of its own thing a little bit. Um, not entirely, but, but, but it would be like, I'm not, I mean, can't even really necessarily think. It would be like a Detroit to Chicago kind of thing. Where yeah, there's some, right. There's, yeah. Some, oh, there's some mixing, but they're also distinct from each other. Tennessee is um, a very wide state. It is, right? It's a two or it's, three hour drive between Memphis yeah, and Nashville, yeah, it's right? Yeah, na- it's, it's narrow north yeah. to south, but it goes away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, um, but there's an, interesting, there's an interesting thing. July 4th, 1954, Johnny Cash gets to Memphis. July 5th, 19, next day, July 5th, 1954, Elvis Presley steps into Sun Records and records for the first time. Right. So there's hmm. something, there's something, um, percolating. Yeah. There's a, and there's a kismet that, that Johnny Cash just shows up there. Right. Like this is <laughs> like he's Elvis, Elvis was army, right. Or was Elvis, Elvis was Air in Force. the army. Yeah. yeah. Elvis was so in the army. Johnny Cash, right. Air Force, Elvis army. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And they didn't know each other yet. Um, <laughs> but right. they would. Um, and so, okay. So, you know, Johnny's, Johnny still loves music. He's, he's written a couple songs he hasn't really shared with anybody. Um, he, when he moves to Memphis, he starts working in this place called Home Equipment. He's selling refrigerators and, store, and stoves and things like that, sometimes door to door. The guy who runs the place, this guy named George Bates, Johnny Cash would basically look up to him like a father figure almost, and even decades later would like refer fondly to George Bates. Um, and part of the reason why is Johnny Cash was a terrible salesman and George Bates just used to give him advances all the time. Uh, like, like you'll, fi- you'll figure it out. You'll Johnny, it, it out. seems like your heart might not be in sales, but you know what? Right. You're a good yeah. worker and yeah. I believe in you, Johnny. Yeah, and you, you know, you did your, and I think, you know, I think one thing that can be easy to forget and, and there's still a little bit of this, though it's, it's, more on the, it's more on the surface than maybe it used to be, where it was like, well, he served his country. You got to give him a chance. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? He did what he could to help this country in the war effort. And we're going to, you know, he's a good boy. He's got a, he's got a lovely wife. And, right. Right. And he's trying yeah, to make his way in the world. And, right. Right. Yeah. It makes me think of that scene in no country for old men. When, um, when Llewellyn comes he's back coming across, he's coming across. Right. And like, he's clearly, he's in a medical gown and all of that. And the, you know, the guy, the guy says, did you serve? And he, you know, and they have this back and forth. And by the end of it, the toll booth guy is like, somebody give this man a ride to town. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. you get a break because you served, mm-hmm. which that's, that's cool. I think, I think that's a reasonable thing to do. Um, so anyway, he's, you know, he's trying to sell stuff and Johnny can't do it. He's one thing is when he does make a sale, 
if it didn't seem like the person could afford it or needed it, he felt terrible. So there's like, <laughs> so there's like, he's a softy. Yeah, there is. There's like a skipping, I'll skip ahead a little bit just to give the end of his, at the end of his salesman career. He says in this interview he did with Bob Costas that there was like his last day, there was some woman who clearly didn't have a lot of money. He's trying to sell a refrigerator. And she says, you know, she starts to like advance towards maybe buying it. And he stops her and says, listen, you don't need this thing. Like, <laughs> you, like he didn't Go get lie. something used across right. town. I yeah, know a exactly. guy. Like, I, I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Sorry. I came and laid this on you. Like you don't need this. Like, so that, Ugh. you know, you can't being a salesman. It's not for everybody. No. Um, so, um, Okay, so there's another thing going on in Memphis at the same time. So his brother, um, his brother Roy is a mechanic, and he works with these two guys, Luther Perkins and Marshall Grant. And uh, these guys kind of like to mess around on guitar, right? And, uh, you know, Roy says, hey, you know, why don't you, why don't you meet up with my buddies Luther and Marshall, and I don't know, you guys can hang out and play some music or whatever. And so they do, and those two guys end up being the Tennessee Two. Um, and uh, the three of them at one point were called the Tennessee Three, but eh, they decided it was going to be Johnny Cash and the Tennessee Two eventually. Um, so they're, they're playing around, and, 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 and Johnny Cash is and now Elvis is coming on the radio, right? And so, and then it's like, oh, Sun Records, this is in Memphis? Like, right? There's a sense of like, wait a second, like, how do you. I'm listening to something on the radio and they recorded it right over there. So it's starting to become real to Johnny, right? Like there's a pathway like, and so they're messing around, they're messing around playing and, and they're not very good. <laughs> so, um, so uh, this is one thing about, and you, you can hear interviews with, with um, either Marshall or Luther later on where they will admit, like, we didn't know what we were doing. Like <laughs> they weren't talented. It was like, it almost reminded me of like, you hear stories about like the Ramones or the sex pistols yeah. where they're like, we don't know how to play. Like it was never the point. Of, the point was, was to not be Pink Floyd. The right, point was yeah. not to be King Crimson. Right, right, yeah. right. Exactly. And so this is where the, the, especially the early Johnny Cash stuff, it just sounds like, like it's just like this guy yeah. yeah like yeah. it's very simple like mm. um um and they were fine with that that was cool right in fact at one point they put like um uh i think it was luther i get luther and marshall mixed up i think it was luther he puts a piece of paper in the guitar so it gets a slight snare drummy sound to it right so it just adds that like that little bit of uh whatever that noise mm-hmm. is to make it even more boom chicka boom yeah um so let me read one thing about this, about their playing sort of style and kind of what they sounded like. Um, and it was interesting too, because like Johnny was super serious about this. He's like, I'm going to be, a, I want to like, I want to be on the radio. And his buddies are just like, yeah, it's fun. We like hang out and we drink beer and we play some music. <laughs> and Johnny sings. And Johnny's got a pretty good voice and it's kind of fun to, you know, it's, it's very interesting that there's sort of like differing attitudes about it within the same group. Um, okay, so this is again from the Hilburn biography. Uh, They all looked to Luther Perkins guitar as the heart of their sound, but he was unable to move beyond that simple tic-tac, tic-tac or hunt and peck style. John played the first note and the second one and asked Luther if he could do that. Luther worked and worked on it. Must've been an hour or two. And finally he got it. Marshall said, that's about all we achieved that first night. And this is when they were starting to try to work with Sam Phillips, the sun records. 
Over the years, rather than apologize for their limitations as musicians, Marshall saw those limitations as a secret weapon. Our inability had a lot more to do with our success than our ability, he said. If we had done what we wanted to do in those days, which was play like all those great musicians in Nashville, we would have sounded like everyone else, and that would have taken away from the character in John's voice. Though long embarrassed by his lack of range on the guitar, Luther, too, grew to be proud of the sound he brought to the group. You know all those hotshot guitarists? You know how all those hotshot guitarists race their fingers all over the strings, he'd say, time and again? Well, they're looking for the right sound and I've already found it, right? So there's something cool about that, right? Like the beginner's minds kind of thing, right? It's kind of a punk band in a way. A little bit, We're not right? going to play too many notes. We're not going to wow you, wow you with that, but we're going to wow you with the overall picture and we got an ace right. in the hole in right. Johnny Cash. In Johnny's, Johnny's Cash's voice, right? And, and Johnny, you know, pretty much, you know, there's a little bit of back and forth, but pretty much as soon as he stepped in the Sun Records, this guy, Sam Phillips, like he knew that Johnny was something. Like he could tell there was an authenticity and a uniqueness to his voice and the way he emoted. And he, he apparently, you know, he looked like he, it seemed like he could maybe write some songs too, even though like wasn't really, you know, they didn't know if that was going to be the route eventually at mm-hmm. first or not. Um, but so he starts recording with, with Sam Phillips. Um, um, you know, they're obviously they're amateurish and Cash has already got a little bit of creative differences with Sam Phillips. You know, Johnny wants to play gospel music too. And Sam's like, there's no way, there's no way we're making a gospel record. That's just not happening. <laughs> right. Cause yeah, yeah, yeah. Sam, Sam Phillips is running this little indie label. Part of the way that he makes money is like, if you want to come in and record, make a record like for your girlfriend, right. He'll like, he'll, you can pay for studio time and he'll press vinyl or for like a kid's birthday or something. And Sam, literally two people worked for Sun Records at this time, Sam and like his administrative assistant. So Sam so was Sam's the, the engineer. Yeah. He's the yeah. engineer. He's the producer. He's the promoter. He'd like drive records out to radio stations. He was like, non- I actually came reading this biography. I came to respect him a lot. Just like, his his attitude and his hard, how hard he was working. He'd started the record really, I mean, he's a white dude, but he'd started the record really because he thought there was all this great black music in Memphis and he wanted to like popularize it. And, you know, that's not how he ended up making a lot of money, but that's not particularly his fault. He's the know. guy that broke Elvis though. He's the guy who broke Elvis, yeah. yeah so, I mean, so, forget yeah, so Right, so Elvis is coming out this time. So Johnny sees, Johnny happens to be there for one of Elvis's first performances. Literally, a, there's a drugstore grand opening and Elvis is playing on a flatbed truck that's driving up and down the street. He only had one song at the time. Okay. And Johnny and Vivian and, you know, like a few other people from town, like saw it basically. Now wow. he's on the radio, but like this is, this is literally, I think... It could be wrong, but I think this was Elvis's very first public performance that Johnny Cash was at. Wild. So, hmm. Yeah, so kind of crazy, right? So anyway, so, you know, they re- so by, but by the time they get to Johnny being in Sun Records and starting to get recorded, Elvis is already sort of rising to fame, at least locally. Um, they have a first song. Um, it's kind of a great song that Johnny puts out. It's called Hey Porter. It's a song that he wrote. Yeah, thought, I know. Hey Porter, and it's the, yeah. the shoeshine boy. Is that the one? Or is that uh, a I don't different think it's one? It's a shoeshine boy. He's, it's about a guy who's hmm. like returning to the South on a train. Okay. He's sort of talking to this, this but you know, the, all the Johnny Cash voices there. It's really strong. It's great. Um, uh, oh, yeah, then, of course. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. 
Yeah, yeah. So. I love this idea though too because it gets us to this this train metaphor, which and he's hits over and over and over. Yeah, yeah it's totally and, his thing. And it's fun because the the musicians riff off that. They play off this idea. The music tends to sound like a train. It's chugga, 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 chugga. Yeah, chugga, no, chugga, that, that, chugga, yeah, chugga, it's great. And that's kind of why it works. Yeah. It's like this automatopoeia thing almost, mm-hmm. right? It's like, yeah, yeah. And, and he, will, he will hit the train thing over and over and over again. Yeah, I got <laughs> the shoeshine Almost to the point where boy. it becomes yeah. cliche. Does it talk about the shoeshine No, 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 I got, it, I got it wrong. It got it wrong. But yeah. no, it's good. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, yeah, and it's got this sort of Southern thing. I'm, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. coming back down South. Right, 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 right. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a it's a good song, and it was pretty it was pretty popular locally. I mean, this wasn't enough for Johnny to quit his job at the the home equipment store yet, but but it's pretty exciting to have your song on the radio. You know, he's and it, this is the thing, Johnny Cash has. When you look at it historically, he has like a meteoric rise. It's like it's it's kind of incredible, and we'll sort of I'm gonna sort of outline that a little bit here. Um, uh so let's see so okay so one thing that happens fairly early on after johnny's had a couple songs on the radio is um rca buys out elvis's contract and now sam phillips basically turns all that time money and attention to johnny cash and promoting him right so he's like we made elvis we sent him off we made him national he's gonna be one of the biggest stars in the world and now i'm looking for the next guy right and so by the time you get to cash's third single it's number 14 on the billboard country charts now the billboard the billboard charts are like a big deal in the 50s like that's how you know exactly how successful something is now it's all sort of Uh, it it feels like it's bought and paid for and it doesn't make sense like the New York Times bestseller list. It's all Yeah, fake. it's not clear. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, it's not clear what makes a song successful anyway. Like, even you can go on YouTube and if something's got a couple million hits on YouTube, that's successful. But like, did it actually make any money? That's yeah. a whole different mm-hmm. question, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this, this means units moved. We are yeah, selling exactly. vinyl. Right, right. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, um, so Vivian at the same time is also pregnant. Um, She's pregnant with her first kid. And there's this interesting Ooh. synchronicity. Um, just three days after the first time Johnny appears on radio, Vivian gives birth, right? So it's literally happening at the same time. First baby, job that's not going well, but I'm on the radio. Um, and this is, where, this is where the problems start developing in the relationship between Johnny and Vivian because jo- Vivian is this very conventional Catholic girl she married an Air Force boy. She didn't marry a country a rock music star. star. Yeah, a country right? music star. Oh, and many, he, many such cases. Right, occur. right, right. Yeah. And, he, and he wasn't that when they, you know, he wanted right. to be. And he probably even told her he wanted to be. But it was one of those things like, well, yeah, you got a nice voice. But like, why? You're going to be, okay, you're going to be a country music star. Like, it doesn't, you don't think it's actually going to happen. And you certainly don't think it's going to happen in like two years that you're suddenly going to be touring and you know playing sold out shows and things because it happens pretty fast in fact so um pretty early on sam put um this is before i'm skipping around a little bit but this is before elvis um elvis's contract gets bought out sam puts elvis and johnny cash on a tour so there was a time in like 1955 where you could have seen elvis presley and johnny cash at a show at like a church 
in Tennessee someplace, yeah. you know? Right? And they got their hair combed over and all <laughs> right. slicked back and right. a lot of pomade and right. Right. Yeah, the suits. Right. And, right. Yeah. yeah. And, and Johnny's sort of struggling with this a little bit because it's what he wants to be doing. But like, and he, he liked Elvis. He said Elvis was a great guy, super fun, you know, smart guy, smarter guy than people give him credit for. But the one thing he felt weird about was that Elvis was always pulling strange. And Johnny was like, ah, I don't know about this. Oh, Elvis like, was a little bit of a playboy, huh? Yeah. Well, right. I mean, you know, I mean, we all know he was sort of a heartthrob, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, yeah. he, he, so he could. And, and and Johnny probably could have maybe to a lesser extent, but he and definitely in could 50s have. 50s in the South. Right. Yeah. Right. I, <laughs> I'm just trying to smell it. Right. Can you just right. smell these shows and right. all of the different products right. and the hair and the, the way, uh, weird outfits, I'm sure. And like, <laughs> and then the tour bus and, and come back. Oh man. Right, 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 Ugh. right. right. Hot, so, not enough air conditioning at the time. Oh no, the no. That, I, I don't even know yeah. if they had air conditioning. I mean, yeah. you're sweating oh. constantly. You show up in some civic center in some town, remote town in Tennessee right. or 90 right. minutes from Nashville. Right. Right. You just, right. you just eating pancakes on the right road syrup syrupy pancakes you're on amphetamines and drinking beer and oh yeah and lindo wants to come back to the tour bus right 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 Whew. that's a that's a scene that's yep. definitely a scene oh yeah um and so Vivian, Vivian had problems with this whole touring thing, right? She no doubt. did not like it. Yeah. And um this is actually why Johnny wrote I Walk the Line. Um and it's kind of weird that you would Right, one your first big hit would be a song about how you are devoted to your wife, and then you would later divorce her, and you would that would still be your biggest song. (laughs) Yeah, you have to sing it every time you play a show. This song you wrote to promise your wife that this was all going to work out. Yeah, it's sad. I mean, it's kind of ironic and sad, but but, you know, the thing the thing is, it's like. And this isn't necessarily forgive Johnny for some infidelities. And we're going to get into that because he's one of these guys who sort of seems like he kind of couldn't help himself. He was sort of a romantic who kind of, he needed somebody to be there. Hey man, know? tour is tour. Right. It's, right. It's, uh, it's a story as old as time. Yeah. And, and, and on, so you got that and then you got on the flip side, they just, they Vivian wasn't meant to be the partner of somebody who was going to go do this touring thing, right? Like she didn't come out with him and she didn't try to make it. Well, like, she's, she's got a baby at home, right? She's right, not going right. to come on the road and watch him open for Elvis. And right. Yeah. What is that even going to look like? She's going to yeah. be out in an RV in the back. I mean, it just, right. it's not going to work. Yeah. And she wasn't encouraging of it either, you know? So it's, there's, there's this tension, you know, there's gotta have been sort of tensions like, well, she doesn't care anyway. Like, so, which makes it which makes it harder it's like you don't she doesn't even want you to be out here doing this at all like she doesn't how, care about your dream how you know? old were they when they got married well they're pretty got, young in their 20s right they were like 21 22 yeah. Mm. yeah i mean there are a lot of issues in modern life but yeah, we, yeah it's tricky right there's yeah. a reason that that marriage is being delayed and delayed and delayed and this is one of them because there is adulthood is being delayed you're not really right. realizing you're not who, yourself you're, not who you're gonna yeah. be yet right yeah. and so you don't know what what you're gonna be like and then you yeah. know i mean the opposite thing could have been you know the the well like if johnny cash wouldn't have done what he did okay he could have just stayed home and tried to make the home equipment store thing work right and never got tried to get on the radio and like that, what good would that that would have been good for vivian and who else 
you know, so it's, it's right. a weird, it's a tricky, yeah, it's funny. A tricky thing. It's tricky. It's yeah. tricky. Mm-hmm. So um, let me read this thing. So he's like, you know, skyrocketing to fame a little bit here. I'm going to read this thing from the Hilburn bio again. Um, oh, <laughs> um, yeah. So let me read. I hope the audience knows Folsom Prison Blues. I, I, so in 1955, Cash writes Folsom Prison Blues, which becomes um, late, becomes sort of a hit, but then becomes a bigger hit later in the 60s. Um, I want to read you some of the lyrics. I should have done this earlier, but I want to read you some of the lyrics from Crescent City Blues. And I hope people already know the Folsom pr- Prison Blues lyrics a little bit. Who, who wrote Crescent City Blues? Um, what was this guy's name? I can look it up too. You know, I don't, it should be right here, but it doesn't say. Read the lyrics and I'll look it up. So I hear the train a coming. It's rolling around the bend. This is Crescent City Blues. <laughs> it's saying it was written by uh, Gordon Jenkins and yeah. then Beverly Marr sang okay. it. Okay. okay. All right. And I ain't been kissed, Lord, since I don't know when. The boys in Crescent City don't seem to know I'm here. That lonesome whistles, whistle seems to tell me Sue disappear. When I was just a baby, my mama told me, son, when you grow up, I want that you should go and see and do, but I'm stuck in Crescent City just watching life mosey by. So there's some differences in there yeah. um, going on. I see rich folks eating in that fancy dining car. Uh, no, uh, we ripped it off. <laughs> they're probably having pheasant breast and Eastern caviar. Uh-huh. Now, I ain't crying envy and I ain't crying me. It's just that they get to see things I've never seen. Um, if I owned that lonesome whistle, if that railroad train was mine, I bet I'd find a man a little farther down the line. <laughs> so it's uh, basically the same song. Yeah, you ripped um, it off. Okay. Yeah. All right. That, now that's here's a little the, dark. It is. Here's the, here's the next, here's the next, the big difference. This is now, this is from Folsom Prison Blues by Johnny Cash. And just to read you one verse. When I was just a baby, my mama told me, son, always be a good boy. Don't ever play with guns. But I shot a man in Reno just to watch just him die. Watch when him I hear die. that whistle blowing, I hang my head and cry. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, but I shot a man in Reno just that, to that, watch him die. I love that line. It's great. That lyric is the best. It's, it's brilliant, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so he stole this song, but he added something that clearly wasn't in the original that set it apart. So is the know, tune the same? The tune is similar, but the Folsom Pretty uh, sorry, Folsom Prison Blues is apparently faster, but the tune is very, very similar. So uh, it's the blues. I don't really care that much. It's not care. like this it was ruins just, it was, my it was opinion. Eye opening to me yeah. to be like, oh, he didn't like. He what? should have credited them. It right. should have been Folsom City or Folsom Prison Blues yeah. from the Crescent City Blues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, huh. um, so okay, so. Um, I Walk the Line comes out. I think it's his fourth album, his fourth release, I Walk the Line comes out. Now, you mentioned Grand Old Opry before. Um, for folks who don't know, the Grand Old Opry, I think it still exists in some form or fashion, but it started in 1925. And by the 1930s, it was this four hour radio show that you could hear in 30 states. It was like, the big it was time. an institution. Oh yeah, it was absolutely. A cultural force yeah. for country western music. Right, right, right. Absolutely. And Johnny being from Nashville, the Grand Old Opry we've you, seen. You mean Memphis? I'm sorry, Johnny being from Memphis and the Grand Old Opry being in Nashville, there was resistance to him sort of making it on there. He had played and done really well at something that was um, 
called the Louisiana Hayride, which was like the second tier Grand Old Opry. It was also like an interstate radio show, but it wasn't quite as popular. But he'd done really well there. Louisiana Hayride. That sounds like yeah. what Elvis is doing in the in the bus. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know who else this reminds me of a little bit is, and I don't know his whole story. I'm not up on him as much as I should be, yeah. but Willie Nelson is something like this where he carved mm-hmm. out his own he did. scene. Yeah. Uh, away from Nashville, because yeah, if you were yeah. in the business at the time he was coming up, you were supposed to be in Nashville. Well, that was it. But it reminds uh, me, Willie's it, stuck in Texas. Yeah, absolutely. And it reminds me a little bit of like the grunge reaction to glam rock or like the punk reaction to like Pink Floyd. Like it does remind me a little bit like, you know, these guys don't know what they're talking about and the music's getting staler and worse and, you know, uh-huh. and we're going to do this boom chicka boom thing and we're yeah, going to like yeah. sing about shooting people in Reno and right. like, you know, so there's some grit there, some genuine, mm-hmm. some, some authenticity. Now, so he couldn't get into the Grand Ole Opry at first. But when he, I Walk the Line came out, it was a huge hit, and the Grand Ole Opry could not deny it. Like, they had to let him come and play, essentially. Or they, Now, know. is he in black at this point? Is he the man in black? When does that start? He frequently wore black, but it wasn't like an always had to be every time. In fact, I think I watched the Grand Ole Opry performance. I don't know if it was the first one or not. He did wear, like, white in a Grand Ole Opry performance. So it wasn't as diehard of a thing that he liked, but primarily it was still his color. Um, but here's the thing. So I just give you a timeline of how quick this ha- quickly this happened. Cash meets Sam Phillips in Sun Records, 1954. July 1956, he's playing the Grand Old Opera. That, 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 that's wild. <laughs> right? That's totally insane. That's insane. It's yeah. like, and he moved to, ni- so this was like, he met Sam Phillips, I think in late 1954. So you're talking a year well, and a half. We're talking about country music, Carnegie Hall. Right, exactly. That's like a classical right. musician. I played Carnegie Hall. Okay, right, right. right. This is the, the, the country music. Ins- mm-hmm. It's an insane, that's an insane leap in a career, yeah. I think. I mean, he's right. probably recorded right eight to or the 10 top. songs at this point. Yeah. Does he even have an album out or is it all, he's it's all not, singles? I, I don't think he's had, no, he hasn't had a full album out. They're just releasing like a single, you know, a two-sided thing, you know, one song on each side. Yeah. What are they, are they, 45s? Is that what they're called? Yeah, I think they were on 45s yeah. probably. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, but just, I couldn't believe this. That's yeah. a startling jump in your But career. he's on the road. He's, he, he's stepping out. He's walking the line, but he's maybe stepping over the line already. He's stepping over the line yeah. here and there. And, you, you know, know, doing barbiturates with Elvis. Yeah. So, he, so interestingly, the drugs didn't start right, right away, but mm. I'm about to get into that point. Okay. So, so drugs, super- drugs, <laughs> drugs. Every episode of Art of Darkness at some point is not one artist who's been completely... <laughs> It's true. It's true. Maybe we'll find one. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't think no. we will. <laughs> so, um, okay. So one thing, no, he's popular. He's playing the Grand Old Opry. And this means he can now play anywhere in the country, right? You play in the Grand Old Opry, you can go play any place, right? Almost like a, not a, maybe not a household name, but we're right there. Right. And right. And yeah. especially anybody who's like actively listening to the newest country music, like mm-hmm. this, they know who Johnny Cash is now. Yeah. So he's touring and touring then, man, it was you and like as few people as you could get away with loading into a car and driving as, you know, driving 12 hours, do a show, drive for another house. 12 hours, Waffle House, yeah. another 12 hours, one of you sleeping in the back, one of you is at the wheel, the other one's looking at the map because you're lost in the middle, of, you know. Um, 
Johnny, apparently, they did not let him drive, actually. Um, he started driving at first, and both Marshall and Luther thought he was so bad that they, he was going to kill him, <laughs> and so they wouldn't let Johnny drive. Now, at some point during That is a this, great way to get out of having to drive on a road trip, by the way. Right. Just be One terrible. One well-timed <laughs> swerve, and you're off duty. Right. <laughs> be careful what you get good at. These kids, are little life hacks that come yeah. with Art of Darkness, <laughs> right. artofdarkpod.com, yeah. on yeah, Patreon be, at yeah. Art of Dark Pod. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, you know, it's still hard work, even if you're not driving. Yeah, be careful what you get good at, people. I'm serious. They will make you, the world will make you do it if you're yeah, good at it. Yeah, that, that's a great point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so at some point in this touring, you know, it's hard, it's hard work just staying up and playing shows, blah, 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 blah. Um, some other country musician introduces Johnny to amphetamines. It's just like, here you go. This helps me get a little pep in my step, you know? And at that right. time, you're just you're off the road 12 hours. Maybe you got rained out from another event or something right. that you're going to make this other gig. Right. Yeah, man. And you got yeah. and then the thing is, not only do you have to make that drive when you, you know, rush onto stage, you got to be on. Right. Mm-hmm. You got to be energized. You There's be no green it. room in the back with a right. shower and uh, somebody waiting there for you with some Perrier. Right. You're, right. you're right. in some civic hall or some yeah. church hall. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And yeah. you might be playing for 500 people or something. But yeah, the amenities are limited. So so he gets into amphetamines. And at that time, you could get a doctor to prescribe you amphetamines. And Johnny actually tells a story that sometimes, like, in you the, still can, Brad. Let's not act like. Oh, yeah, they're called, they have different names, though. Sure. Okay. All right. <laughs> there was a time in the late, and Johnny would talk about before it became, before he couldn't get them for prescription, which is how he would get in some legal trouble. He would tell stories about he would be passing through a town when he was starting to be kind of famous, and he would just call any doctor that was in that town. And he would say, Listen, Doc, uh, this is Johnny Cash. And, uh, I'm having a little trouble getting through this tour and I was just wondering if you could prescribe me some something to get me to the next town. <laughs> and then he just gets a bottle of, you know. This is, this is really Johnny Cash? Why, yes it is. Yes, Hello, yes it I'm is. Johnny Cash. Yeah. And I, yeah. need some, I need some hard drugs. Right. Sir. So, doctor. So, so he would, yeah. Just try to imagine sure. a doctor saying, well, can you sing me uh, Walk the Line? <laughs> right, right. I'll write you a script tonight, Johnny. Just, yeah. you got to come sing it, sing the, sing that, uh, that hit song right here into the telephone. Right, my, right. my wife's going to listen. Right, right. I wonder I'll if that ever happened. It might have happened at some point. Did. Did. Yeah. Prove your Johnny Cash. Yeah, right. Yeah, he's got to <laughs> sing his song. All right, those black beauties are getting packaged up right now. Um, so he got into the amphetamines and then he also got into barbiturates, right? Because you need what you need is you need the amphetamines to get you up for the driving and for doing the shows and hitting all the notes. But you're then you're so keyed up that when you go back to the hotel room, you got to be able to go to sleep because it's your only time to go to sleep. Now we're in the sunken lands. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this exactly. is where it happens. Up, yeah, down, up, up and down. down. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So, ah. yeah. So now here's another thing that, that goes on. He's doing these pills. The pills allow them to tour longer and harder, right? And that means he's away from home even more, which, which ironically, it was a long time before Johnny's family understood that the pills were a problem, but they were a problem because they allowed him to be out at sea longer, basically, right? And then he's starting to meet other women. He's starting to get interested in other women. He meets like, you know, he's had these like affairs of the heart where he'd like get a crush on somebody and like be sort of infatuated with them. And sometimes something would happen. Other times something wouldn't happen. Well, you know? and let's, let's be real too. This is a kid from a farm 
mm-hmm. from a project right. farm. Really? A pro- he's now, from the projects. Yeah. Who, well, yeah. <laughs> who uh, now has a very serious sudden taste of fame. Yeah. Yeah. He's been on the Grand Old Opry. Like, <laughs> and he shows up and everybody knows who he is and mm-hmm. he's got a hit song. I can't even yeah. put myself quite yeah. in that place. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, it's, 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 and, and yeah, so, so yeah, the amphetamines, so you have the amphetamine. So in, by the time we're hitting like the late fifties, we've got, he's pretty well, the, the, the pills pretty well got their hooks in him. His marriage is sort of falling apart though. It's going to take a long time before it actually falls apart. Um, and, uh, in 1958, lured by um, more opportunity for more money and the promise that he would be allowed to make a gospel album, Johnny Cash signs to Columbia Records. He is given a $500,000 in today's dollars advance, um, plus a, like twice as much in royalties per record, right? So this is like a really good deal. Plus they're gonna allow him to make a gospel album, which he's always liked to do. Um, it was kind of heartbreaking for Johnny to break up with Sam Phillips. He always liked Sam Phillips, the Sun Records guy. But like, I mean, you got to shoot your shot in a way. It's sort of similar to the marriage thing. He's sort of like, well, listen, I either do the thing that I'm meant to do that my brother told me God put me here to do, or I capitulate and compromise and back down, right? Like there's no two ways about it. So I think you see this. So this in is the, Cash. the minor like, league, and we're going to level yeah. up. We're going to go play at the majors now, right. just like Elvis did. Yeah, got to make this deal. This I, deal I, is too good a deal. Yeah, yeah. I got to do it. I got to do it. So, um, and then 1958, he's starting to cross over too. So you know, he's playing shows on Lawrence Welk. Um, he plays again. He's hey, playing, the greatest yeah. North Dakotan, right? Lawrence Welk, <laughs> one of us. Yeah. One of us. You know that was show that that time at least was recorded in California, though. Oh, was it? Well, you know, but he's from North Dakota. He's, he's so a North. I know he's in North Dakota. I was just okay. surprised to know. Yeah. But I guess they filmed everything in California. Well, I mean, look, Brad. He yeah. he was able to get out of North Dakota. <laughs> you can if you, again if you shoot your shot. You Some know. really tough winters. <laughs> yeah. Shout out sure. to the people who were there. For sure, for sure. <clears throat> so um, he plays the Grand Ole Opry again in 57 or 58. He's still playing the Louisiana Hayride. And, you know, he's just getting more and more and more successful. 1957 and 1958, he would play about 300 total shows. So, you know, we're talking about a show every three days or something for two years. Um, and the travel in between. That's, right. that's it, the it, thing that kills you. It's right. not the show that kills you. It's the travel. Yeah, it really is. Right. Yeah. So he's driving from town to town to town to town to town. Um, so now moving to Columbia, there's advantages and disadvantages. Obviously, there's more money. And so now $500,000, I mean, and I said that was in today's dollars, plus he's selling records. Um, you know, a $500,000 check just shows up on your door. That's a lot. That's a lot of money to reckon with, right? Um, but he's now on this new label and there's this sort of problem that happens where this guy, Don Law, becomes his producer. And whereas Sam Phillips, Phillips had been very, um, Sam Phillips was a, he was a creative guy in, in, in his own right. And he was a hands-on producer. He was like, no, we should try this song. No, it should be more like this. He would arrange things and he would talk to you about what you're trying to accomplish and all of this. Don Law just says, well, I got this superstar musician. I'm just going to record whatever he does. Mm. And it doesn't really work out quite as well. Like there's a, there's like a, there's like a, in terms of creativity, there's sort of the slump that starts in the, in the late 1950s. And Johnny is given maybe a little bit, 
I hate to say this because I like the idea that he got artistic freedom, but in terms of what was put out, we see this like he starts making these concept albums that sort of halfway work. Like um, he makes a gospel album, which is actually kind of good. Um, he makes this album called Songs of Our Soil, which is like super focused on death, I think, because he was super pilled out. Um, it's like more folk kind of music. Um, then he makes this album called Ride This Train, which has like four good tracks on it, but is really self-indulgent because every song, Johnny introduces it with this like spoken word thing. It's like, yeah. now we're going to Oklahoma. And then Oklahoma. Oklahoma. You know what I mean? And then the next song is about like Texas. And it's a is little... everything all right at home, uh, Johnny? It's a little, yeah. it's a little much, honestly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, then, and, and then, so this period, uh, in 1964, you get this album, Bitter Tears, which is all about the plight of the Native Americans. Again, there's some good songs in there, but again, and it's sort of self-indulgent thing thing where it's like dude people just want to hear you sing a song that like resonates with them we're not sure if we really want and the bitter tears thing though was kind of interesting because the native american community loved him for it um the radio wouldn't play it and johnny actually took out an ad in billboard magazine calling out radio djs it's like a letter calling out radio djs for being gutless for not playing this music so that's the Whoa. that's 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 a it's not when Johnny Cash had the famous wag in the middle finger photo, mm. but it's kind of a moment like that, right? Um, so yeah, wag in the middle middle finger photo is from the second Folsom, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it, yeah. I think what that came from. There's competing stories about what happened. The most reliable one I could find was that somebody had asked him what um, if he had a message for the warden. <laughs> <laughs> nice um, yeah, yeah so. well this is this is interesting so we already have this kind of combative bad boy kind of yeah. uh yeah. to take out a uh an ad like that and to call out the djs is yeah. uh pretty it radical is. Yeah, yeah yeah for sure for sure and i mean it partially came from his records weren't selling as much you know and he's sort of <laughs> thing and it was like well you know, you know like maybe he's not in his right mind either he might be under the influence of certain things and nobody's gonna tell him no at this point. yeah yeah well and yeah and in, in the drugs are really starting to take hold sort of early they've taken hold already but by like 1960 like everybody around him knows it's an issue too like he's lost weight he looks weird and sometimes his performances are really bad um like apparently this particular pill that he was taking it did this thing where it would like dry out your throat ah and so he would have shows after a pill bender where like he could barely even talk and they were yeah. apparently just terrible that's right? no good it's not it's not good so and he's um, headlining at this point so you're oh yeah you're showing sure. up to see johnny cash and he's croaking right right not good right. yeah but at the same time, the early, by the early 60s, he's essentially a wealthy man. He moves the entire family out to California because one thing is Johnny Cash thinks he can also be a movie star, which was not a good idea. Ah, uh, like Elvis. He, <laughs> yeah, I, think, right. I think Elvis probably had a little place in Johnny Cash's Oh, yeah. Brain. No, that, yeah. Looked like, that looked like what that's what you did, right? Why wouldn't you just do what Elvis did? I mean, it sort of makes sense. And you got to think, like, there wasn't as long of a history of pop music stardom at this point. We're talking 50s into 60s. There, like, there had never been anybody like Elvis. Elvis no, was a new thing. Right, right, yeah. exactly. So there wasn't a clear, it wasn't clear how you should do it, really. Um, but anyway, yeah, in the early 60s, he moves the whole family to California. He actually buys Johnny Carson's old house, 
which I just thought was an interesting note huh. um, for that, seven hundred for seven hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars <laughs> in today's money. That would be the uh, the taxes on it now. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> Johnny Carson is going to be a great episode when we get around oh, to that. That's that going to be, be a good, good one. I that might have to do good. that one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but yes, like we're that. focusing on the other Johnny right now. Yes. Yes. Um, so let's see. So all right, I want to give you a sense. It's, it, I, I went so deep into this. It's like I, 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 I struggled to figure out which details not to put in. But I want to tell you, I want to give you a sense of how screwed up he was on drugs. Okay. <laughs> so I got a, um, okay, here we go. This is from the Roger Hilburn biography. Cash was likely high on pills the night of September 29th in Beverly Hills when he picked up a container of propane gas and threw it in the trunk of his car without making sure the lid was secure. As Cash headed home at around 30 miles per hour on a residential street, the container fell over and the gas leaked into the passenger compartment where it suddenly exploded, perhaps from the spark of Cash's ever-present cigarette. Remarkably, Cash was able to leap from the rolling car and suffered only minor bruises and burns on his face and arms. The car continued on down the hill until it struck a lamp post. The fire was put out before the can of propane or the gas tank could catch fire. Cash declined medical attention at the scene. So, so he blows up his own car? Blows up his own car. That's usually not a good, <laughs> not good. sign. And, and, and there's, I mean, there's, there's a whole bunch of these sorts of things. Like one time he played, he, 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 didn't wasn't allowed to return to the Grand Ole Opry for like five or six years because um, he was super pilled up and he accidentally with the mic stand like trying to pull the microphone out or adjust it he accidentally breaks one of the stage lights right and then he liked what he says in later interviews was he liked how it sounded so he just took the mic stand and dragged it across and broke all of the stage lights out Right, and this is not that type of show. Oh, it's the Grand Old Opry. These are, it's a little <laughs> stiff. It's a little, yeah. we're Christians, waspy right. Christian, right. Middle America, Southern, feel right. good. Right. And Johnny so, Cash is a bad boy, but boy, yeah. you yeah. wear a bolo tie. Right, to, right, to, right. And moment. you stand up straight. Right, and, you, yeah. and you, you pluck and you sing and you get yeah. off stage, you take a bow, but yeah, yeah, yeah. no bueno. Yeah, and there were other kind of weird things that happened, like the, there was a couple places, venues that he wasn't allowed to go back to because he had painted the mirrors in the hotel room black or in the dressing room black. He painted the mirrors. Um, that is dark. That is, that is dark. That is yeah. one of the, we're investigating the dark side of artists yeah. on this podcast. Yeah. That is one of the darkest things that I've heard yet. Right. Somebody right. painting the mirror black yeah, why in a hotel yeah, room. Think about why you would do that, right? <laughs> like the psychological process that makes you decide. And yeah. And, yeah, yeah. And there was also, um, I think it was Carl Perkins. There was another musician who knew him who said one time they were in a hotel room and uh, this other guy, I think it was Carl Perkins, but it might have been somebody else, had broken something in the hotel room. And Johnny Cash said, don't worry about it. That thing that they'll just charge you $45 to fix that. And he's like, well, how, how do you know? He's like, well, I broke one of those before. <laughs> and then they proceeded to... Yeah. Johnny called out everything in the hotel room and he told the Carl Perkins what everything would cost if you were to destroy it. And it Which, turned out yeah. later that he was right about all of it. Like he had smashed everything in hotel, a hotel room on multiple that occasions. Is, that is wild. Right. What is, okay, is he mixing these 
pills with booze? Is he drinking too? He he would. Drinking wasn't really his problem as much as the pills, but he didn't. He also drank. Yeah, yeah you throw yeah. a few whiskeys on top of all this, and now you're right, right, right. in a bad yeah, place. Exactly. Yeah. He had a joke. Johnny Cash has a joke that he would say. It's a very, um, it's a very Mitch Hedberg kind of thing. He says um, one of the one of the prison shows. He somebody somebody says uh, something about you want to drink a whiskey or something like that from from the crowd. Somebody says that to him, and he says, I, I, "No, I don't drink anymore." And plays a note. I mean, I don't drink any less either. I don't drink anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that is a that is kind of a Mitch Hedberg line. I approve. Rest in peace, so, Mitch Hedberg. Yeah, That'd be yeah. another good episode. Yeah, would be yeah, a good episode. Yeah. He's he's buried not too far from here. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. he's a Minnesota yeah. guy. That's, That's right. That's it, St. Yeah. Paul. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so 1964, he's already been famous for a minute. He's rich, um, but we're getting the real stagnation. 1964, I think, is when Bitter Tears comes out. We're hitting uh, a little slump. Go ahead. Kind of the, the, low, the low point here. I don't yeah. want to uh, uh, derail you. Yeah. However, I do have a question at this point. Sure, yeah. Why is Johnny Cash an addict? What is he running from? Now, I know the movie yeah. makes it pretty clear that it's the pain from his brother and the pain from his mm-hmm. father. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything more to it, do you think? I think I think there's that. And I think there's also... So I think that there... I definitely think that's part of it. I do also think there is a a sense of... Okay, so he, like anybody who reaches fame in the way that he has it, attention gives him some kind of validation, right? And so if it's like, all I got to do is take this pill, and then I will have the energy and the power to put on a show that people will like, right? So there's that. So it's like the sense that this thing gives you power. Um, but I, I also, bet if you, if you took, like today... Hmm twice as much Adderall is prescribed and then you got up and did the greatest show of your life Yeah, and you felt better than ever yeah. and it just felt right. Yeah. I could see how then very, very quickly that could escalate into a serious problem. Right. You're chasing right. that feeling again. Right, right, right. absolutely. Yeah. And then there's also the thing is, you know, we haven't talked much about it, but Johnny is a very religious guy. And I think there's something that can happen with, people who are deeply religious and concerned with sin, you know, their sinful nature and all that, where you get into a sort of a loop where it's like, you can take the drugs to numb you from the feeling of guilt you have about taking the drugs. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's this vicious cycle. It's like you do messed up things because you're on drugs and then you feel terrible about them because you have this, this strong sense of right and wrong. And then, so you then, you numb yourself from that feeling with those same right. drugs, right? right? So there's that. I wouldn't know anything about that, Brad. No, okay. <laughs> I wouldn't know right. anything. Yeah, I, mean, I don't I know mean, where I've you're heard. getting mad from, right? Yeah, I've yeah, heard. Supposedly. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that that's probably pretty <laughs> a, a, a part of that. I think the other too. idea that comes to my mind, and this is speculative, but he's somebody from a, not even a small town. He's right. somebody from the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably growing up didn't even have that many social connections just the number of the sheer number yeah. of people he probably saw between the age of uh you know uh, being a little boy to coming of age was yeah. probably pretty pretty oh, slim yeah. and now he's yeah. he's in New York to meet with Columbia Records and right. he's in LA and he's in 
totally different environment right. and probably the, the ups and the downs probably helped him manage a certain amount of right. shell shock and culture shock from that transition. Oh, I think that's, I think that's definitely part of it too. Yeah. He, he's in, well, and the other thing he said in an interview was like when he started taking it much like the pharmaceutical crisis now, it was like, well, doctors give you this. Uh-huh. Like, it can't be that bad for uh-huh. you. And then by the time you realize it's bad for you, like just from your experience with it, it's, it's our, the hooks are already sunk. Sounds know? to me like Johnny Cash was a science truster. <laughs> he did trust the science. He did trust the science. <laughs> we did get some good tunes out of it, though. So Hey, hey. hey. He said later on that he didn't regret any of it. Oh, so, all right. Okay. Yeah, so that's yeah. something. Um, okay. So, um, I realized we're, this is, I'm enjoying this, but like, we're going to hit two hours and, and we're going to keep going. But. Let's, let's keep it going. And, and by yeah. the way, if you subscribe to, uh, subscribe to the Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash art of dark pod, you get access to after dark episodes where we go into the, uh, the way that we research each episode. We go a little more off the cuff yeah. uh, and we, we invite you to, uh, to subscribe extra content and you can support the, support the yeah, show. Absolutely. Hey, I don't care if we go a little long for Johnny no, Cash. It's fine. This it's fine with me. This is the yeah. man in black here. Let's yeah, go. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so okay. So, I'm trying to think about where I want to take with this. Okay. So, um, one thing, one thing, we want to hit in this, in this mid middling slumpy period. Um, he gets a show at at Carnegie Hall. At some point, this guy named Saul Holliff takes over managing for him, and Saul Holliff is brilliant. He like in terms of a managing a talent thing, mm. so, and his idea was like Johnny Cash can have mainstream appeal, and I'm going to make that happen, right? And so, so Saul Holliff gets Johnny Cash to play at no less than Carnegie Hall. Grand Old Opry was the country music of Carnegie Hall. This was Carnegie, Carnegie Hall, Hall, Carnegie Hall, Carnegie Hall. Carnegie yeah. Hall. That's right. it. Doesn't get any bigger. Johnny Cash plays this show so pilled out of his mind that oh. people. I don't know if they booed, but it was clearly a bad show. Oh. Right. So bombs, bombs Carnegie oh. and hates himself for it. Like, oh. you know, is miserable and, you know, thinks it's over and all of these things for it. And how much do you, I mean, I'm just trying to think of like New York City, 1960-ish, right. 60, yeah, mid-60s. 63, I think it was. Have the Beatles the broke right yet? Have they broken yet quite then? It would have it, been at the edge of breaking if they hadn't already. Just kind of happening. And, yeah. And now you're in New York City and oh man, I can't right. even imagine what it must have been like to go back to that hotel room uh, after paint those bombing. black. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. yeah. yeah. So, so pretty rough, right? Um, um, okay, so... Now, the other thread I want to keep in here is the Johnny Cash, the romantic, right? Um, we haven't gotten to the love of his life yet. And he's still married in 1964. He's super pilled out. He started, he's, he's now well-known in the country music com- community. And he, two of his best friends are um, Willie Horton, who is a well-known country musician at the time, as people sort of don't know who he is, and um, Billy Jean Horton. Um, Billy Jean Horton had actually been the young wife of Hank Williams and when Hank Williams died, right? So she's like known as like the most beautiful woman in country music, right? Um, and he becomes good friends with them. Let me give you this anecdote on two, uh, let's see, 204. This is again from the Hilburn documentary or documentary, <laughs> biography. Biography, yeah. yeah. Um, so after, so Willie Horton dies in a car accident 
right? And this is after that. Johnny Cash is pilled out of his mind, looking for love, even though he's still married, has kids at home, has four daughters at home in California. Billie Jean Horton says that Cash showed up at her concert wanting to talk to her again about a future together. But any slim chance that she might change her mind about marrying him was ruined when Cash arrived at the hotel later that night and pounded loudly on her door, clearly under the influence of drugs. Furious at yet another rejection, he later stormed out of her room and smashed every crystal chandelier in the hallway. After being called by the hotel manager, Holoff agreed to pay for the damage, but it wasn't enough to keep Cash from being banned from the hotel. Right, so just in a rage, smashing everything, you know, and, and, and that's where he was. Like that was the, the, in 64, that was like the level of intensity, rock star, anxiety, stress, depression, you know, madness that he was clearly influenced by. Probably needed a, a year off and treatment <laughs> and yeah. I'm not touring for a year. I'm going to go hang out with my, my girls and the yeah. family yeah. and I'm going to talk to a psychiatrist and we're going to get this right. sorted. But it right. sounds like he didn't have quite the intelligence or the yeah. people around him. This yeah. often happens with these great stars where the people around them just ride them. Well, I mean, everybody's making money off of him, mm-hmm. right? He's got mm-hmm. his 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 guitar player, Marshall Grant, and even Marshall Grant and Luther Perkins, they felt like sort of, they didn't like when shows got ruined, obviously. I mean, who would? But like, they didn't feel like they were even part of the creative process almost to a certain extent. Like, they'd be like, they would look at the billboard rankings and be like, oh man, Johnny's not even, not in, not even on this chart. Like, Johnny's screwing up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like your bands too, right? It's a very interesting sort of process. Um, but you're so, at this at this point, you're an institution. You're not just right. one guy. You got right. a lot of people relying right. on. It's you a lot of pressure. Yeah. yeah, it's a ton yeah. of pressure. Um, and and so I want to paint one more. I had that uh, call back to that image of his childhood of of Johnny walking that that road, the country road at night, singing. Here's another another image of him during this phase this phase of his life. Johnny Cash would come home to California and he didn't, he and Vivian are just fought and argued and, and, and didn't get along. And so Johnny Cash would come home and then he would immediately drive, oftentimes he would immediately drive out to the desert. And what he said he would do was he would just get pilled up and he would sometimes just lay on the ground in the desert and look up at the stars for hours at a time. Right. Just, so that's, that's this, that's where he is. He's, you know, he's a millionaire by today's standards right. at the time. Um, can't even face his home life at all. Um, and then sometime in here in the 60s, in the mid 60s, we get what I want to call um, the ring of fire phase. Um, one of his most famous songs, arguably, you know, it depends on what your taste is. One of his, maybe his best song. Um, um, not, but not his song. He didn't write no, it, did he? No, June he didn't write it. June wrote it. June yeah. Carter wrote it. Yeah. Um, uh, it's a great song. It's got these mar- great mariachi trumpets at the beginning, which are, yeah, great. It's got a nice groove to it. And apparently that was Cash. That was Cash's his idea. And he like, arranged that. Like mm-hmm. he wanted that. He said he saw, heard it in a dream. Um, <laughs> probably. probably Just these, uh, these trumpets. Uh, I hear trumpets, June. <laughs> right. Calm right. down, Johnny. It's going to yeah. be okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Ring of Fire. So um, what a great tune. Oh, is good. When I yeah. when I was growing up, that was the one that everybody knew him for. You knew yeah. him for a number of yep. them, but that was the one you heard more yeah. times than yeah, absolutely. You'd even care to hear it. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So, um, 
So Ring of Fire it was written by June Carter. June Carter was part of the Carter family, that great American institutional band that he had seen back in Dias as a boy. Um, and how this came to be is um, obviously Johnny Cash had a, has his touring band had expanded beyond just the Tennessee two. And he had multiple people, backup singers and that kind of thing. Um, at one point, Patsy Cline was singing for him, who would later go on to have her own sort of, you know, meteoric fame, but very short lived. Um, and Saul Holliff, who was, you know, again, brilliant manager, he knew Patsy Cline was going to leave and he was thinking like, well, okay, how are we going to replace her? And then in the chess, you know, in the sort of chess strategy thing was like, okay, well, what is the best possible thing we can do here? he realized that June Carter was available. June Carter would not only be less expensive, but it would, than Patsy Cline was, but having June Carter in the show would tie Johnny even deeper into in the American institution of country music, right? A member of the Carter family is at this show. So now if you're 70 years old, do you want to go see Johnny Cash, right? Um, so links them up not thinking at all about the fact that Johnny Cash is going to fall in love with her or any of that. Just, we need a good singer. And, and June Carter is, um, she is an impressive woman. Um, honestly, I mean, she's, she's, she was gorgeous in her heyday and throughout her life. Um, she was a part of the Carter family, but she was not known for her singing when she was doing Carter family stuff as much as she was for her, like, her antics. She was funny. Like she had, she was a comedian. She'd taken some acting courses and she was, she was, she was a great stage presence. Right. And Johnny, you know, fell for her hard. Um, I do want to talk about Carter family for just a second here. Um, you should check anybody who's listening has any interest in like American roots music should take a listen to some of the Carter family stuff. Some of it is great. It's like Appalachian, West Virginia, or sorry, Virginia, Virginia music. Um, they've been on the radio forever. Um, we could probably do a whole episode on just the Carters, honestly. Um, they <laughs> were, Might be uh, time to do it. Yeah. 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 So, um, you know, they played a lot of like old standards, like, um, but they, but they would like sort of bring them out of wherever they're from, like songs that like nobody even knows who they wrote, like Keep on the Sunny Side, Wabash Cannonball, that sort of stuff. Um, anyway, so um, they bring her into the show. One of the things, and, and they'd sort of become, as they're touring, they fall for each other kind of at the same time, Johnny and June, but they, they, they kind of keep distance from each other a little bit because she's also married. She's married to actually this super interesting guy, this guy named Rip Nix, which what an incredible name, hmm. R-I-P-N-I-X. He was either going to be married to June uh, Carter or he was going to play baseball. Yeah, well, he was a famous Alabama football player. Hey, uh, yeah, great. He just got a great <laughs> sports name, Rip Nix. He does. He was, also, he was also quite the boat racer. Apparently, at one time, he held a world speed record in a boat, hmm. which doesn't really matter, but it's just cool. an Fun. interesting dude. Yeah, so um, so Johnny and June are touring together, and they're kind of fighting off their mutual attraction. And plus, she realizes how pilled up he is, and she realizes that's kind of an issue. Um, but over time, they're just getting closer and closer and closer. It's kind of undeniable. They're singing duets and things. Yeah, yeah. Mm. You know, Jackson. Yeah, yeah. We're going to Jackson and all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to fight. Um, so 1964 comes around. It's not clear when the relationship was actually consummated. I mean, I suppose only they really know. Um, but 
when it really when it when when it was kind of obvious it was going to be over with Vivian, John Johnny and June and the rest of the band played at the Hollywood Bowl, which is, is in 1964, which is still a big venue now. Mm-hmm. Um, they played at the Hollywood Bowl, and you know Johnny's family lives in California now. Johnny had actually bought his parents a trailer park to operate and live in, which is I thought kind of a cool thing. Um, so anyway. Cash's family, Vivian, the kids, they all come to this Hollywood Bowl show. And as Johnny had instructed them, they were supposed to come out to the artist parking lot after the show. They come out there. Johnny and June are like clearly like close to each other. And they sort of, Johnny just sort of says hi. And they just get in the Cadillac, in the back of the Cadillac, Johnny and June together and leave. (sighs) And Vivian is just like, well, obviously I'm like, obviously I'm nothing. The family's nothing. We don't uh, matter. We don't matter to this guy. You're talking about darkness. I yeah. mean, there yeah. it is. Right. What are you right. gonna do? Yeah. There's this great love story. They love each other. They do, right? And I mean, yeah, yeah. It's tricky. Um, well, and of course, how could Vivian even? And I don't want to speak ill, but I mean, yeah. there's just how can you relate? How can you? How could she possibly relate to what? Johnny Cash is going through at this right. point. Yeah, there's and, barely anybody who can, right? Right, right. And June's there all the time, and she's charming, and she's lovely, and she, and she you know, knows she she's it, probably comfortable she, on the road. She, right. she's not an addict. Right, uh, right. She grew up in it. Right, right. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So I'm going to give you a little, a little after that. Give you a little snapshot of what home life was like for Johnny Cash when he <laughs> wasn't on the road. Okay, <laughs> when he got back to Casita Springs, that's where they they lived. The atmosphere was unbearable. And for all the couple's hopes, as the couple being Johnny and uh, Vivian, for all the couple's hopes of shielding their problems from the children, it impacted everyone in the cash household. It was as if darkness suddenly fell in what had been a picture-perfect time for the youngsters. Unable to face Vivian and not wanting to frighten the girls, Cash would bolt out of the house at all hours of the day and night, get into his car, and he wrote later, drive recklessly for hours through the streets and into the hills and deserts of California until either I wrecked the car or finally stopped from exhaustion. This is something else I was going to say earlier when we were talking about the pills and everything. Part of the problem is Johnny Cash doesn't have to be up at 8 in the morning to go to work. And I'm not a big fan of the whole wagey lifestyle, right? Like I'm a big work from home guy and I'm an artist myself and I I would love to never have to wake up on time ever again. Yeah. But it it can lead to problems. And there is a... Yeah, not everybody can handle that. Yeah. Really, yeah. Right. Yeah, maybe not not even most people can handle that. Right, there is a reason that society writ large kind of puts these bumpers up and and says, you know, you probably should be in bed by midnight. Right. On a Tuesday, we we gotta get up, but we gotta do something. Because really the the devil kind of lingers at around 1.30 in the morning. If nobody has to do anything, like this whole thing's gonna go off the rails. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) As we've seen over the past two years. I mean, I I continue to say that what America needs more than anything else is a school night. It's a school night. We need a school night. Get in bed on time. (laughs) Yep, everybody's gotta be in bed on time and you gotta be up at 7.30 and breakfast Mm -hmm. in the mouth and, and off to back at it right yeah right 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 so okay so so he's fallen in love with june and eventually they do they do get married um i think the um the vivian and johnny cash divorces i believe in 1966 if i don't have that yet 1966 and now the Um, beatles are definitely in the background and somebody like johnny cash is going to be threatened by that that's going to be a problem but yes yes go on yeah so now now Cash is like starting to become 
I want to say almost politically relevant around the mid 60s because he occupies this interesting space, right? We said he's he's sort of progressive in terms of his personal relationships. Um, when he gets busted in El Paso um, for amphetamines, because basically what happens is he goes into Mexico, buys pills, brings them back to America and he gets busted. Um, serves like a, I don't even think he really serves any real jail time, but there's a very menacing photo of him in sunglasses, like being arrested. And that turned him into that, like amplified this bad boy image. Then this weird thing happens. And this, this struck me about what his position in society was and, and how sometimes it wasn't handled pr- properly. Um, in some, now some, there's some press photos of him around this time of the arrest. And there's Vivian standing next to him in the photos. And now generally America didn't, they knew Johnny Cash, but they didn't necessarily know Vivian, right? And they see a picture of her. And honestly, she looks in these, some of these photos from this time, she looks like a black woman. Okay. This is a problem, right? Not, I don't think it's a problem. I don't care. Anybody can marry anybody. Placing ourselves in the time. Right. In a country, a country musician, right? Uh This is a problem. And so a white, uh, there's like a white supremacist group. It's not the KKK. It's some other, somebody else who's trying to seem a little more up on the up and up, but a white supremacist group, nonetheless, comes out with like an attack campaign on Johnny Cash. I mean, you shouldn't listen to him. He's a drug addict. He's marrying, you know, marrying a black woman, all of this. And a Catholic. And a Catholic, right. It's, It's a whole thing as a, and this is where it gets really weird because what Cash and his people should have done is said, who cares about about the black woman thing, right? Like whatever. Well, Instead, and, number, and she's not black. She's not. Or she's wow. Yeah, she's so not. Strange. She just looks like it, right? Okay. She looks like she could be. Right. And what 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 the management team does instead, the rebuttal is they come out with like a genealogy of Vivian. They're like, well, oh, she's not black. What she happens no. to be is she's one quarter Sicilian, and she's oh. so they're basically saying like you would be right to be upset. However. Right. Oh man, yeah, that is not yeah. how to handle it's that. The wrong side all. of history there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so Johnny Cash kind of frequently finds himself in this weird spot, right? Like he has this great. I watched this documentary about him when he went to play. Um, he went to play at the White House for Richard Nixon of all people. <laughs> I think I heard about this. Yeah, yeah that's I'll pretty funny. You, I'll tell yeah. you a little bit about that. Um, that but one, one thing that happened is this, and this I felt like very, very well typified, like where Johnny Cash sort of sat politically. He said he was trying to tell people like, you know, it's there. I'm, I'm willing to fight for the right of these people to burn the flag, right? But if you come to my house and try to burn my flag, I'm going to shoot you. Right. That's the, that's where he's sitting. Right? I'm completely with Johnny Cash. Right, that right. You are totally free to burn your own flag, but if right. you, you take mine, if you take my killdozer flag and you try to burn it, <laughs> right, you're going right. to get shot. Yeah. Right. Right. And so this is this position he's, he sits in. Now he goes and, and I was, well, this is a little bit out of order, but it's the right time to talk about it. He eventually does play at the Nixon White House. Didn't, right? if I may now, didn't Nixon want him to play a certain playlist? And he, yes. uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Go. There was two songs that he wanted that he wanted Johnny to play. One was a song I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. It's probably in my notes somewhere. But one is a song that basically mocks um, people who take advantage of welfare. It's about, it has lyrics about like I've never worked a day in my life, but I just bought a new Cadillac. I got twelve kids to feed but you know it's one of these things about somebody exploiting that system it was a well-known kind of comic song so richard nixon wanted him to play that and richard nixon wanted him to play a song called um muskogee 
and Muskogee was all about how like it, we don't Oki, smoke dope and yeah, no, it's an Oki from Muskogee. Yeah, yeah, it's a we Merle. Merle Haggard. Yeah, 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 we don't we don't smoke we don't smoke dope in Muskogee. Mm-hmm. We cut our hair short in Muskogee. Yeah. It's all this kind of like making fun of hippie it, stuff. That's the one that Mer, you know made Merle famous, and uh, mm-hmm. and it was uh, yeah like an anthem for the what did Nixon call people the the silent majority, silent majority. sort of an anthem for right. the yeah. right mm-hmm. right. Johnny Cash did not play either one of those songs. <laughs> he he instead played a song called which as a song in and of itself is kind of terrible, to be honest. But he instead played a song called What is Truth? Hmm. And the What is Truth song, it is all these things like you see, you know, the lyrics are, we could even like maybe even look up some of the lyrics. But the lyrics are all about, um, I mean, actually look up, look some of those up. Um, yeah, I recall this story. I quite like that. Oh, of course, I look up what is truth, and that's you definitely have to add song at the end. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to end up in some <laughs> philosophy 101. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, so I'm not going to read all of the lyrics, but like um, uh, a young man sitting on the witness stand, the man with the book says, raise your hand, repeat after me, I solemnly swear. The man looked down at his long hair, and although the young man solemnly swore, nobody seems to hear anymore. And it didn't really matter if the truth was there. It was the cut of his clothes and the length of his hair, and the lonely voice of youth cries, what is truth? Right? It was this whole thing about, like, he was trying to position, like, not even saying that the younger generation was, like, right, but, like, hey, listen to, like, what they're trying to say or, like, what they're trying to figure out. Like, give them the opportunity to sort through all this, like, Vietnam, like, Probably all this stuff, right? Th- that's one of his answers to Bob Dylan, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think so, too. Yeah. So, so and that's Nixon what- must have been furious. <laughs> right. Yeah. He never really said anything publicly about it because he wanted to court Johnny Cash. He wanted... Sure. Richard oh, Nixon. Yeah. Richard Nixon didn't care about country music. Richard no. Nixon listened to like classical music. But like he wanted Johnny Cash and his... I like to think court. of like Richard Nixon just listened to like Wagner but with like his own swears over it. Just his <laughs> screaming rants at the Secretary of State. <laughs> he'd, like, he'd have like a stereo system... <laughs> Right. this Strauss and then you know yeah <laughs> himself he was something else man. he had Nixon a reputation he had a, he had a potty mouth Nixon oh he did those tapes yeah. anytime yeah. I hear I don't I've never like sat down and listened to all a bunch of them but anytime yeah. like the the secret tapes show up in something he's always saying something terrible <laughs> just horrible <laughs> <laughs> just like something that you're like really like i love the the yeah. nixon thread in lebowski there's a little yes. slight yeah. nixon shows up on on one of the it's in the poster bowling and right you know, right, mm. right 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 yeah. yeah 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 there's some yeah so that was a that was a certain time you know mm-hmm. um <laughs> so um we'll talk a little bit like 19 okay so that we're actually jumping back the i think the the nixon thing happened when uh, i don't know exactly what year but we'll go back to 1968 um cash had not 1970 had, is when he was uh, in the white house right right yeah, right okay. so a couple of years before that 1968 we get the famous Folsom prison show um yeah. cash had actually played san quentin before that um but they hadn't done like a live recording to turn into an album and they decided that they were going to Cash hadn't had a hit in like five or six years. He was still could play shows and he was still a bit of a draw, but he hadn't really had a hit. Um, And, you know, there had been controversy. Now he'd been divorced, which was kind of a big deal, much bigger deal than it would be now. Now it would be sort of a blip in celebrity news, but then it was... Big stigma. Right, right. Yeah. 
Um, and you know, he'd been arrested and publicly, it was publicly known that he had a drug problem or was involved in drugs or something. I don't know that people even thought of it as like, oh, poor Johnny has a drug problem. I don't know that people phrased it, framed it like that. In their Things have really changed around that. And it's happened in the past 20 years or so. Yeah. Now, yeah. if, now if a celebrity gets busted for an addictive drug, it's like, oh man, hopefully he gets it, I hope he gets it together. Yeah. You know, it's I not think so everybody's like, sort of figured out that it's a disease and it's a lot bigger than one yeah. person's moral failing. Right. That right. still kind of lingers a little bit, but yeah, I think so. Yeah. But Especially it's when it's like lot. repeated, if it's yeah. like a repeated, eventually like a Scott Weiland, eventually it's like, man, like yeah. what is wrong with it? Right. <laughs> right. 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 You know, but like, but you know, and not to say that even that's fair, but the perception has changed. And at that time to be arrested for amphetamines in El Paso. Yeah. So and now you're divorced and, but, and, 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 now, he, and, and yeah, he's in the country right. music scene and that might as well just be Christian music. Right. This is yeah, Southern Christian yeah. music. Right, right, yeah. right. Absolutely. And, and, and well, this is one thing, this is one thing that I learned about country music in preparing for this episode that I think is really interesting. The heart of, of country music, especially early on was, um, cro going over the line on Saturday night and then stumbling into the church on Sunday to beg for forgiveness. Sunday that's morning the, coming down. Exactly. That's, yeah. the, that's, the, 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 that's the spin in country music. That's one of the sort of hearts of it. And Johnny Cash was sort of living that moment to moment. He'd release a gospel album and he'd be high on pills the whole time he did it, right? Like yeah. very much in that circuit. The, um, there's not a sadder song than Sunday morning coming down. Oh, no. That song it's, is so oh. sad. Right, right. What is it? What is the lyric? And there's... there's so like it's nothing short of dying. I gotta remember the lyric. I gotta yeah, look it up. It's a great oh, yeah. song. It's actually written it by Chris Christopherson. Is that right? Uh, yeah, who's one of maybe the, one of the great songwriters. Yeah, yeah, you're in the middle of it, but I'll look it up because I want. Yeah, yeah, look that up. I, 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 that's a fantastic, an amazing song. So anyway, but here's the thing about about all the pills and the divorce and all of this. This makes it by the time he hits 1968 and he's going to do a show at Folsom Prison everybody in that prison all the inmates they respect him he's an outlaw this guy's on the edge he's one of us he's one of us come come home to play and this is the thing too it's not like now where you could like look up the wikipedia of johnny cash and be like oh so he was arrested for yes i see i see okay i mean probably <laughs> a third of those people believed he shot somebody in reno right you know what i mean right. you don't have right. the factual right. 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 well it's it's that same myth making that uh hip-hop that gangster rap mm. would play with in the in the 90s what's right. real what's not how yeah. uh, you know was jay-z really slinging like what right. like do it's we not, know i mean yeah. it's not clear how much how you know right yeah and very and so similar it's, and so it's whether you can buy into it and if you got if there's a picture that was in the newspaper of you looking like a criminal being arrested yeah. then you are you know one of us right yeah so he plays this show he is high to the gills but it's one of the times unlike carnegie hall unlike a lot of these other shows where johnny pulls it together and folks, if you have not listened to Live from Folsom Prison, if you've never heard it, I envy you because I would love to have heard to hear that again. For the Get first to time. the end of this episode of Art of Darkness, yeah. <laughs> subscribe to the Patreon, right. listen to the After Dark episode, yeah. and then immediately stop what you're doing right. and listen to Live at Folsom Prison. It's, a, it's, it's amazing. And it holds up and it's... 
everyone every song is what they would call a banger on it's, that one it's it's and the energy the of the audience and yeah. it's yeah. it's definitely theater of the mind right it really you, is yeah. yeah put it on get it on vinyl if you can oh yeah yeah do it yeah big yeah yeah it's great it, it's, the banter is great there's 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 little funny bits and then they produced it in this really interesting way like they left little fragments of like um the guards making announcements over the pa yeah there's like a little bit of like the doors banging like they left enough of that in that you understand you're at a prison and there's one point which is my favorite part in it and i didn't even know what this was until i had looked it up after hearing because i the first time i heard this i was like 18 and i got immersed in the mythology of it um there's a point where johnny cash goes sweet yeah yeah that is what you say when you're collaring hogs yeah when you're like corralling hogs on the farm yeah and he's yelling that at the prison guards mm. Right, so he's basically calling them calling pigs. Them pigs. Right? I did not know that. I did not know that. Such a gangster move, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just looking them dead in the eye. Yeah, yeah. hog hollering them. It's so it's so good. Awesome. So it's you know it's a great it's a great album, and this is like everyone knew it was a great album, right? It won it won Grammys. It sold a ridiculous. It did every it did everything you could imagine. It knocked Sergeant Pepper off, right? Number one yeah. in America, and, and is the reason that Pepper wasn't number one for as long as it was in the yeah. UK. And Sergeant Pepper, it, this is the thing. Okay, to put it in perspective, I heard about Sergeant Pepper recently. There was a time right after Sergeant Pepper was released, and like the week that it came out that if you got into a car in New York, you could drive all the way to Los Angeles and a Sgt. Pepper song could be on your radio for the entire drive. Like that's how omnipresent that album was, right? I believe that. So this is maybe almost to that same level of, of, of being everywhere. Right, if you, take, if you took the Northern route, you, you're definitely gonna have that. If you take the Southern route, you're gonna get Johnny Cash. Right, right, right. And, yeah, exactly. and it's that kind of funny divide. I think, yeah. I think this is the lyric from Sunday morning uh, coming down. Yeah. Uh, listen to this. On a Sunday morning sidewalk, I'm wishing Lord that I was stoned because there's something in a Sunday makes a body feel alone and there's nothing sure to dying, half as lonesome as the sound on a sleepy city sidewalk Sunday morning coming down. <laughs> man yeah <laughs> like right. every walk of shame you've ever taken on sunday morning knowing you should be at church right right your life is going to pieces <laughs> and you're, you're praying to god that you just right. wish you could be high again right what right. a mess oh. yeah. Oof. Oof. <laughs> all right so i want to so we're going to skip a whole lot because i want to get to the rick the rick rubin stuff yeah, right yeah, but i want to just give you some i'm just going to give you some highlights some some like this year this thing happened right mm -hmm. 1965 this is before the Polson prison thing but it's worth noting and it's just an interesting factoid 1965 he burns down 500 acres of the Los Padres National Forest watershed killing 49 endangered condors and he was a totally defiant prick about it how did he do that <laughs> he it's not clear he was hanging out he had like this RV and he would go drive out into the desert and stuff and he had his nephew with him and um, his nephew and he got in an argument about pills and his nephew like went off to go, you know, I don't know, look at a river or something. And when he came back, Johnny is like trying to beat this fire out of a bush. So it's like something from his RV sparked it or something. It's not this clear exactly what happened. It could have been a cigarette. It could have been a little yeah. fire they had going. Yeah. 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 And it was pretty crazy. Like Johnny Cash, they went, they, the two of them got into the river 
because the fire was all around them. Oh. So it was like the only way that they could like keep from getting burnt to death, basically. And Jeez. actually, let me, since we're talking about this, because it's kind of a crazy story, there's a little anecdote from the court case about it. <laughs> um, I'm not condoning this behavior, but I think it's funny. <laughs> yeah, none of this behavior we condone. Don't break no. up hotel rooms. Uh, yeah. Stay with your first wife if right. at all possible. Right, right. Right. Uh, Just trying to yeah. understand the man who made Live at Folsom Prison Blues. Right. Live at, yeah. live at Folsom Prison. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this is about the Los Padres fire. Cash was e equally disingenuous when asked by forestry officials investigating the cause of the burn, how the fire got started. He blamed it on sparks from a defective exhaust system on his camper. When a judge later questioned Cash about the fire, he was equally defiant. Uh, quote, I didn't do it. My truck did and it's dead. So you can't question it. <laughs> Asked during a de deposition about the loss of 49 of the region's 53 condors in the blaze, he certainly didn't make any friends when he snapped. I don't care about your damn yellow buzzards. <laughs> so. Anyway, so, okay. Nin that's 1965. 1966 gets divorced from Vivian. The June Carter thing's going on. 1967, this is before the Folsom show again. He has this thing that happens in Nickaback Cave. He's so distraught over his marriage ending because, again, he's a religious guy and he's so hopped up on pills and he's all over the place and his career's not going well by his standards, even though he's making more money than, you know, and, you know he's making a ton of money touring, um, you know, but the shows are 50 50 good, whatever. He wanders into this cave called Nickaback Cave. Um, and this is a cave where literally people have gone and gotten lost and died. He wanders in there. I'm going to give you one more little reading on this. And again, I'm kind of just jumping, but these are all like little interesting bits um, that I don't want to totally lose. Um, okay. When recounting the darkness, this is again from the Hilburn bi uh, biography. When recounting the darkness of the fall of 67, Cash invariably held, uh, told three stories that had been repeated time and again in books and articles, one of which involves an alleged suicide attempt. The first step in his march toward regaining his will to live supposedly occurred in early October when, as he later explained it, he went into the historic Nickajack Cave. He had often explored the massive system of caves looking for souvenirs from the Civil War or early Native American relics. Um, on this occasion, Cash, buried under the remorse over the breakup of his marriage, decided it was too painful to keep on living. Nickajack contained the remains of many spelunkers and amateur adventurers who lost their lives in the caves over the years. Um, he writes in his second biography, I thought if I crawled far enough in, I'd never be able to find my way back out and nobody would be able to locate me until I was, de was dead, if indeed they ever could. According to his account, he parked his Jeep outside and crawled through the cave for two or three hours until the batteries gave out in his flashlight and he lay down in the darkness preparing to die. The absolute lack of light was appropriate, he wrote, for at that moment I was as far from God as I have ever been. My separation from him, the deepest and most ravaging of the various kinds of loneliness I'd felt over the years, seemed finally complete. But then something came over him. I thought I'd left him, but he hadn't left me, Cash continued. I felt something very powerful start to happen to me, a sensation of utter peace, clarity, and sobriety. I didn't believe it at first. I couldn't understand it. How after being awake for so long and driving my body so hard and taking so many pills, dozens of them, scores, even hundreds, could I possibly feel all right? There in Nickajack Cave, I became conscious of a very clear, simple idea. I was going to die at God's time, not mine. I hadn't prayed over my decision to seek death in the cave, but that hadn't stopped God from intervening. Cash made his way out of the cave, aided by a wisp of air that guided him to an exit, where he found June and his mother waiting with a basket of food and drink. I knew there was something wrong, his mother told him, he wrote. 
I had, I had to come and find you. He supposedly decided then and there to quit drugs, though he didn't. Uh, in all his drug days and nights, Cash likely did sometimes feel sufficiently trapped and devoid of hope that he wanted to give up on life. Um, nevertheless, the problem with the story and the way Cash told it is uh, twofold. One, he didn't give up drugs. Two, Nickajack, Nickaback Cave. They call it Nickajack over here and Nickaback here. I don't know which a, one no, it is. It might be a typo. Yeah. Um, Nickaback Cave was underwater in the fall of 1967 uh, as a cash historian discovered an uh, extensive check. So who knows if this even happened, but it was certainly a story that he liked. <laughs> Nickajack. It's, it Nickajack. is Nickajack. Is it Nickajack? Yeah, it says yeah. it's partially okay, okay. flooded cave in Marion County, Tennessee. Yeah. Sounds like yeah. Johnny Cash might have uh, made something up there. Yeah, he was known to be a little bit of a, uh, he, he knew how to tell a yarn. Um, 1968, this is just a crazy thing. Um, Luther Perkins dies from smoking in bed. Just, he lights his bed on fire and yeah, dies that way. Dies. What yeah. a way to go. Yeah, right. Oh. And you know, 1968, he's about Johnny's age. So he's probably, he's 40s, 45. You know, he'd been a mechanic and ridden with cash this whole rise to fame. And then you're just smoking in bed and you ash in bed and it all goes up in flames. And yeah, yeah. You die that way. Hmm. Sucks. Sucks. Yeah, that does. That's suck. just months after the Folsom show. Um, oh no! Yeah, right. He's the guitarist, right? He was. Yeah. There's ah. actually there's actually a moment in the movie in the um, Walk the Line movie where the Luther character is smoking a cigarette and is like falling asleep smoking a cigarette. Maybe it's on the tour bus. Mm. I can't remember. Mm. And Johnny says Johnny like takes a cigarette from him and puts it out. Mm. And that's a nod to the biographical fact Ooh, of this okay. happening. Good to know that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Don't don't um, smoke in bed. No. Yeah. 1969, Johnny Cash gets his own TV show. It is a huge hit. Um, many, many, many people watch it. It lasts for several years. Um, and Johnny gets to like bring on all kinds of musicians. Like Bob Dylan is on there. Um, Ray Charles is on there. So it's like, oh, that's cool. Is a lot yeah, of and black it's, it's just and, the Johnny Cash uh, Cash it, show. It is. Yeah. It's like a, it's like an old school variety show, basically, right? And it's mostly yeah. they play music and, you know, it brings the family on and whatever. 1970, uh, June Carter gives birth to a boy, John Carter Cash, and this makes Johnny make a turn to family. It not only makes him like turn toward family, but he turns towards his daughters who he'd kind of left in the lurch, um, which ends up, they end up, there ends up being a major reconciliation with the girls. He makes a real effort to like, he will take the girls for an entire summer and he'll take time off the road. And he tries, he tries to patch that up. And in the end, his daughters, his daughters have nothing but good things to say about how it's kind of ended. Um, even if their you know, young childhood was a little on the rough side. Um, so anyway, so that's, you know, 1970s, he kind of gets, gets back, you know, he gets back into pills. Um, this is an ongoing thing. I'm not even going to really chart when he was on them, when he was off them. He does go to the Betty Ford clinic. That seems to work for a while. Um, but you know, he's doing drugs at least into the mid to the late eighties. It seems, um, here's one anecdote. He had a wildlife preserve, um, in Tennessee. Um, and he literally got attacked by an ostrich on his own wildlife preserve. He got his stomach torn open by the talon of the ostrich. And apparently the only thing that kept it from like ripping out his manhood was ah. the claw hit his belt buckle and like couldn't oh. go past there. Um, but it tore him open. And he had just, to, the, you know, just the same way that his brother was torn open. Right. What are the odds? Right. Those that ostrich kind of, was channeling some sort of demon. Kind, it's kind of crazy. Right. Oof. And, 
and I, I got mixed reports about this, but apparently like this was another like, oh my God, I have to like quit my, you know, doing drugs and all this. But, yeah, like, you're probably, you're probably not behaving appropriately around the ostrich if, no, if, if you're high, around. you know, high as a kite. Right, he's just yeah. lurching around or whatever. <laughs> but yeah. apparently he had hidden some drugs in his um, bandages and they got damp and absorbed into his bloodstream. And he basically had like an almost like an OD experience. Wow. <laughs> now the biogra- biography didn't say that, but his autobiography does. And so I'm not sure if that actually happened because he kind of tells tales. But bit of a fabulous. Yes. Yeah. 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 We wouldn't have any have it any other way though. Uh, yeah. No. Yeah. No. Okay. So into the '80s again, the career kind of ups and downs. He does have a big thing that goes on with with what some people might know as the highwaymen which is Willie yep. nelson johnny and mm-hmm. waylon jennings this was actually pretty popular um, there was a fourth too um, uh chris christopherson i think yeah i think that yeah that yeah. sounds right yeah yeah so they and that was that was moderately successful um johnny struggled with the touring a little bit but like hey man he was he was back in the public eye again can you imagine seeing that show come right. on right <laughs> it would have been something yeah, for sure awesome for awesome. sure um um you know it's okay time goes on we're gonna fast forward 1992 He's inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame, right? Like he's 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 not having hits anymore. But it's there's a, there's a thing that happens. You're starting to get Lifetime Achievement Awards and Hall of Fame awards, and they feel good. And at the same time, and Johnny says this somewhere, it's like getting a "You're Washed Up" award or "You're yeah, Done." Award. Being put out to pasture, right? Right. And everybody's everybody's loves you, and they they're clapping for you, but they're also saying like, "Okay, you're done. Like, right. go, you know." go retire and you know he's just that wasn't going to be his vibe um in the mid 90s there's this fascinating i think fascinating juxtaposition so have you ever heard of the town of branson missouri sure i've heard of it yeah Mm -hmm. yeah it's like the midwest's atlantic city sort of right okay it's like casinos and shows and things and it was a very deliberate thing like somebody got a bunch of money and like they're like we're gonna make this town be an attraction and people are gonna come here and whatever and so johnny cash kind of gets wrapped up in this um he was gonna have his own theater there but then it was like a there were multiple developers for branson and his developer kind of dropped the ball and so he didn't end up getting he didn't end up getting his own theater but he was gonna play shows at the wayne newton theater okay and so he's at this point in the 90s where he's literally playing like a, cas- a midday casino show for people getting off a tour bus, right? Yeah, that's not, yeah. The casino show moment for Johnny Cash doesn't necessarily sit that well. Yeah, it's that, not, That's a good indicator though of kind of where he landed. Right, right, yeah. right. And so in the midst of this, this is going on and clearly he doesn't like it, you know, and he's, he's made attempts to like do different kinds of recordings with different people. And it's just not, it's never really working other than that brief flash with the Highwaymen, which was just, I think they did make two albums, but they didn't push it super hard. And he, um, at this time with the Branson, Missouri stuff is going on, he meets Rick Rubin. Yeah. Right. You're crazy Rick, for this one, Rick. Right, you, exactly. 
and he didn't know Rick Rubin was. I mean, Rick yeah. Rubin started Def Jam. Like, what a like what a, what does Johnny that have to do with Johnny Cash? Yeah, 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 so, yeah, yeah. So it took some time to convince Cash to really even talk to Rick Rubin, and so eventually, but he's also seeing at the same time like the like, sandwich, right, right, <laughs> right. But at the same time, he's playing these stupid Branson shows. Yeah, it's like this playing a casino for blue hairs. Yeah, this isn't how I want to go out. He'd been right. at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I, I do want to give you one anecdote. He'd been at the Rock and Roll Hall. He was also on a U2 album before the American recording stuff. I think I knew that. Yeah, because yeah. Bono loved him. Did he, did he sing on that album? He did, yeah. One song. Huh. Yeah, I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head, but one song. It's actually pretty good. Um, it's, the production doesn't really fit his voice all that great, but it's not bad. Um, but he had this moment where um, he's at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame getting inducted, and he goes to the bathroom, and he hears somebody behind him singing like one of his – Johnny Cash does. Here's somebody behind him singing like one of his more obscure songs, a song called Load and Coal. Mm. It's like doesn't even show up on Greatest Hits albums, you know. And he turns around, and it's Keith Richards hey. singing this, like, right? And so there's, like, this thing where, like, okay, they're putting me out the pasture, but, like – I'm still something, you know, <laughs> like I still matter in this world. Um, so anyway, he, he finally does get convinced to go talk to Rick Rubin. And he doesn't really, again, he doesn't really know who Rick Rubin is. And he just knows that people tell him that this guy matters, you know. Um, but, but Cash also knows that he's got to do something, right? Like this Branson thing, this, is, this isn't how he's going to go out. And he, so he asks Rick, he's sort of like, well, what do you, what do you want to do? Like, what do you, what do you want to do for me with me? Like, what is this? And Rick's like, I just want to sit down and I want you to just sing whatever you want to sing. That's all I want. I want you to sit down with your guitar and sing whatever you want to sing. And Johnny, lo- I mean, Johnny loves this idea. He had had for years in his head, um, the idea to make an album called that was just going to be Johnny and his guitar. And it was going to be called, um, Johnny cash late and alone. Right. And so Rick Rubin, like, basically gave him the opportunity to make this. And I didn't realize how extended this Rick Rubin period was. It ends up being like almost 10 years. Yeah, actually, it's, it's of one, of the, one of the greatest collaborations in, oh, in American amazing. music. Yeah, yeah, it's five. It's basically five albums. Some of them are, you know, there's there's songs in there that are just incredible. It, I um, mean, it also culminates in the greatest cover of all time. It does. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so the first album was, was great. You know, um, Rick Rubin was enthralled with it. Rick Rubin was particularly impressed by the fact that Johnny Cash knew how to, the words and the melody to what he said was hundreds of songs. Like Johnny Cash could just sit there and play hundreds of songs without looking anything up, which, I mean, is just an incredible it's not even necessarily a musical it's talent. It's just so, so much cool. As a, like a, right. And you can imagine you're Rick Rubin, just you and him, you got a microphone and you're just going to chill out and you're going to listen to Johnny Cash play 25 yeah. songs in a row. Right. Like, yeah. I like um, what you did there, Johnny. Right, right, right. And so they committed to, they committed to, you know, committed to the vinyl and, and it, it, it does really well. And the first album is all acoustic and the second album, they, they, um, they, they, they start adding some elements. They bring in Tom Petty and they bring in all these other things. And it's this great mix of, um, if you listen through the American series, it's this great mix of Johnny Cash songs. There's not, there's very few, if any, where he's like re-recording like an old hit, but he does a lot of songs that are like standards. 
Mm-hmm. He does a lot of songs that he wrote, and then he does a lot of covers that you wouldn't expect. So the Hurt um, Nine Inch Nails cover was the most famous, but he also does Soundgarden's Rusty Cage. Yep, Rusty he Cage. Does, I'm going to um, take this Rusty Cage yeah, and run. Yeah. Right? He, yeah. he does uh, Personal Jesus. Something like that. Yeah, your um, own. Yeah, yeah. He does Depeche <laughs> Mode. I forgot about that. It's yeah, good. yeah, it's yeah, a good yeah. Cover. Um, and there's it's, like a hand, there's a handful of others. It's, yeah. it's the greatest uh, third act oh, yeah. of all right. time. Right. I mean, like it, one of the greatest. Yeah. And, 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 it, and again, it is the greatest cover of all time. His right. cover of Hurt, there's no greater cover ever. Oh, it's style. incredible. It's incredible. And most video, people will, yeah. The, the video is great too. As a video, yeah. it's, it's fantastic. I mean, he's, he's, the video, he's, the House of Cash, which was like his museum, it, has been, it had been closed. And so they take shots of it like dilapidated, basically. Yeah. And then he's sitting in his, um, and the, one of the shots that they sort of intermix is he's sitting at a table with like a feast, right? And he's, he's singing the song and June is looking at him very concerned. What you don't really realize is that she had recently found out that she, would, she had a terminal diagnosis and she was mm-hmm. dying. And yeah. she's in this video, she's looking at him very concerned. And at the end of the video, he just pours wine all over all of this food, right? It's just dramatic and gorgeous. But that whole series is is just rife with these beautiful songs i see a darkness like people should check out that song that was a billy Pron, um uh with billy prince bond prince i can't say his Bonnie name prince billy is Bonnie that prince it? billy yes i was looking for the right i had yeah, all yeah, the yeah. syllables but the sure, wrong sure. yeah that that i see a darkness is incredible um there, there's just so many there's so many great songs on it now as they're going through rick rubin and johnny are going through this process johnny is basically I hate to say it, but he's starting to die. It's he's already not that great when when he meets Rick Rubin and and you know he's he's trying to record every day, but he's getting sicker and sicker. They thought he had Parkinson's for a while, but it, but they found out that it really wasn't, and then they thought it was something else, and then eventually they just called it autonomic neuropathy, which it's it's a, like a lot of these diseases. Nobody really knows what it is. They just cluster a bunch of symptoms together. Um, I don't doubt that it was something like Parkinson's, probably from taking amphetamines your whole life. He like, wasn't that's known. He to wasn't that to. old. I mean, he was in his sixties. This is a rock yeah. and roll, but he was in. Right. He was a rock and roller in his sixties. Right. He was a hardcore, yeah, yeah, country, yeah. outlaw country rock and roll. Sixty-five right. is not the school teacher in the suburb 65. Right, right, right. Yeah. And he looks, that last Hurt video, like he looks like he's in his, deep into his 80s to me. Like yeah. he's looking pretty rough. And so he's getting sicker and sicker. And, and, then, and then June dies and that's terrible. It's heartbreaking. That was the love of his life. You know, they'd had their issues, but they were madly in love and they were made for each other. And he, he starts to gradually go blind. Mm. Um, so the image, you know, what I want to paint for you is Johnny walking a country road by himself in the middle of nowhere at night singing Johnny laying in the desert high out of his mind, looking up at the stars and then Johnny in a dark room by himself, barely able to barely able to see recording his, uh, last song that he wrote over and over and revised and revised and revised and revised which is the man comes around oh and the hurt is incredible but also and if you were listening to anything from that american recording series the man comes around is 
a brilliant piece of work. And that was one of the last things he ever recorded. And that's an original. That's him. That's an original. Yeah. It, yeah. I think it might, it wasn't the last song he recorded, but it was the last song he wrote. Um, and it's gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> it's, man it's, comes around is what it's called. The yeah. man comes around. Yeah. 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 So let me give you a little, little taste of the, some of those lyrics. Cause this is kind of the end here. Hmm. Um, yeah. I don't, we're not going to read you the whole song, but like, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a deeply religious song, right? So, hear the trumpets, hear the pipers, 100 million angels singing, multitudes are marching marching to the big kettle drum, voices calling, voices crying, some are born and some are dying, it's Alpha and Omega's kingdom come, and the whirlwind is in the thorn tree, the virgins are all trimming their wicks, the whirlwind is in the thorn trees, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks, in measured hundredweight and penny bound, when the man comes around. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and Hell followed with him. Just this, like... Yeah, it's so great. <laughs> I, yeah, that's a great, I mean, it that's feels a great like song. A, it feels like a Bible. It feels like a, something yeah. out of Ecclesiastes or something. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's epic. And he put everything he had into that, you know, and I like to think of that as the last thing that rolled out of his hand, you know. As he in passed the, on in the sunken lands, yeah, in the sunken uh, lands, yeah. yeah, that and only Johnny Cash could have written and sung that song. Oh yeah, that yeah, and that's that's what a great artist does. Yeah, absolutely. So that's Johnny Cash, and he you know died two thousand three. He died having recently won an MTV Music Video Award for Video of the Year. Right, you went from for seeing. Her? For her, you went from seeing Elvis's seeing Elvis's first live performance to winning an MTV Music Award, like in the millennial generation, right? It's an just an incredible career, and you know, I, God bless Johnny Cash. <laughs> well Ooh. done, Brad. That was Thanks. a good one. All yeah. right. Wow. Yeah. I'm mm, now. I'm ready. I'm ready to. <laughs> I'm gonna go. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I'm probably gonna go put on some of the the old stuff for my uh, yeah. for my daughter, and yeah. I have some of it on vinyl. I have the oh, second yeah. Folsom recording. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but I actually too. think I have the 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 big one too. I might yeah. bust that out. My That's a good my one, baby man. son likes to tear tear our vinyl to pieces, so it's hiding oh, in the basement right you're now. Be careful. Um, man, and you know, yeah, and put I on remember, a boy named Sue for him. Put on yeah, a boy named right, Sue. Yeah, for I'm going to change guy, your right? name, Anthony, if you're yeah. not careful. I'm going to start calling you. So that's a good tune too. That's it funny. Is. You got to Silverstein kind of wrote that. His, oh, is that? Oh, I remember that. Right? Yeah, yeah Shelby. Yeah. You know, it's easy to forget too that there's a sense of humor oh, in yeah. this stuff. That's yeah. not. It's not all dirge and heavy. No. And, no. Yeah. 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 Really yeah, cool, he's a funny guy. Yeah, yeah, one of the one of the greatest Americans, man. Really, and, and really and truly. Yeah, and you can't, you really somebody, can't tell the twentieth. I think you can't tell. And there's a lot of people who are like this, but he's certainly one of them. You cannot tell the story of twentieth century American culture without Johnny Cash. It doesn't make sense without him. Love it. And yeah. this is the Art of Darkness podcast. Brad, you did a great job. It was a lot of Thanks, fun. Man. We're going to go yeah. on for another 20, 30 minutes on the After Dark episode, which is available Ooh. to Patreon subscribers. We really do encourage you to subscribe. You get a little bit of extra content. We put a lot of effort into these episodes. So if you want to chuck a buck, we appreciate that. And, um, you know, and, and, if, and if not that, go on iTunes and give us five stars. People look at those things. It's silly, but, uh, you know, we, yeah. we think we deserve it. If, we, if you don't think we deserve five stars, get on Twitter and tell us why. And we'll, right. we'll block you. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, we won't block you. Have we we'll, blocked we, anybody yet? <laughs> I don't think we blocked anybody yet. But no. Brad runs the the Art of Darkness uh, Twitter account. It's at Art of Dark Pod, and then of course the website's um, artofdarkpod.com. I, you also really I have me excited because we took a little hiatus. You know, you got mm-hmm. you got hitched. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got stuck in Green Bay. Uh, but now we're back. We're we're going to be doing two of these a month minimum. Yeah. Uh, and and up next for me is Marlon Brando. Ooh. I'm very excited. I've got yeah. three very thick books. Nice. Uh, and uh, and my my lady's very excited because she loves all the all the old classic movies. Nice. So it's going to be a Marlon Brando. Uh, uh, movie every day in the uh, the Couchman house okay. here for the next week. So. Awesome, that's right, well, I, I style my hair after the late Brando, the 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 Apocalypse Now Brando. So I'm in. <laughs> All right, we'll talk more on uh, the After Dark episode. Absolutely, Bye, sure. Bye, Bye. Bye.